0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Saturn Vox podcast, where discussions of philosophy meet the liminal space we weave in dreams. This is your host and perpetual student of folklore and magic history, Makala Ann. This week, we are coming in with a bonus episode featuring the infamous, educational, and hilarious Professor Charles Porterfield. We chat about the history of Hoodoo and Conjure, with our discussion emphasizing the Black origins of the practice and giving an effort to showcase the importance of the study of liberation politics and revolutionary history as an ethos foundation within this sorcerous tradition. What makes Hoodoo a practice distinguishedly different from African traditional religions? How does Conjure function as a sorcerous technique aimed at liberating the oppressed? What is the difference between pure and clean? Why is Hoodoo explicitly North American, and how did the political landscape of the United States influence the addition of indigenous, Jewish, and other ethnic minorities' praxis in a tradition that finds its roots in Africa? All this and more on today's episode of Saturn Box. But wait, there's more! Check out the Patreon-exclusive episode to hear more of my conversation with the good professor as we transition from history into praxis, leaning more into a discussion on various uses and techniques for doing both magic and divination with playing cards. If you enjoy this episode and the witty way in which the professor imparts his wisdom, I encourage you all to check out the class he is teaching at the Salem Witchcraft and Folklore Festival. This conference is filled with a plethora of inspiring educators, many of whom have been on the podcast, and I can't express enough how much my own magic has grown in both personal practice and community building through the experiences I have had at festivals past. You can check out links in the description box of this episode for quick access to both the classes taught by Professor Porterfield, as well as the festival in general. I hope you enjoyed today's episode, but before we get started, I have asked Matthew Venus of Spiritus Arcanum, co-owner of the Salem Witchcraft and Folklore Festival, to come on and give you guys a little bit more of what the festival is about And if you like it, hopefully you'll check it out and check out my friends and have a good time and learn something. So without further ado, here's Matthew.
1: Hello all, this is Matthew Venus of Spiritus Arcanum. I was graciously invited by Michala to share a bit with you about our upcoming event, the Salem Witchcraft and Folklore Festival. The Salem Witchcraft and Folklore Festival was created by myself and Jackie Aloisi of the Cauldron Black and founded upon the principles of magical education, community, and activism. This year, our festival will be an online event held from Thursday, August 3rd, to Sunday, August 6th. The festival plays host to over 30 classes, lectures, and panel discussions from just as many presenters and explores topics as diverse as folklore, divination, herbalism, astrology, witchcraft, necromancy, folk magic, and much more. This year, our presenters include Sasha Ravitch, Brandon Weston, Dr. Alexander Cummins, Katarina Pejevich, Joshua Williams, Jesse Hathaway Diaz, Verlek Feymana, Kobe Michael, Nay Nordmans, Fio Gede Parma, Albert Bjorn Jamie Wagner, Moss Mathy, Ben Stimson, Professor Charles Porterfield, and many more unparalleled speakers. The festival is live streamed and recorded, and registration is available for individual classes, day passes, and complete packages. Best of all, you'll have access to all class recordings until the end of the year, so you'll have plenty of opportunity to watch and rewatch classes at your leisure, even if you were unable to catch the live-streamed events. More information about presenters, classes, and registration are available at salemwitchfest.com. On behalf of myself, my core organizer, and the presenters, I invite you to join us for our fourth annual event this August 3rd through 6th. Thanks so much.
2: Welcome. I am Professor Charles Porterfield, and hoodoo is my business. And today I've been lucky enough to be asked onto the wonderful show by the wonderful lady. And so we are going to be hopefully talking a bit about hoodoo, but in particular, conjure and no doubt playing cards. I've got them in my hand, so hopefully that'll come up. I've been in the business for, well, a generation, and I'm still here. So sit back, relax, open up those delicate shell shaped ears of yours, and just tell us where it hurts, and we'll try to give you all the medicinal remedies that you need. There probably won't actually be any remedial messages, they'll probably only be conversation.
0: <laughs> Sometimes conversation can be the redim- uh, remedial medicine.
2: Yes, it can. Uh,
0: So that's a a good segue. Can you maybe explain to us what it means to you to be a conjure man? Like, it seems like there is something already implicitly healing about that term to you.
2: Well, a conjurer has, by one means or another, uh, either very much by their own actions or because of being uh, a term that's uh, very normative and hoodoo is uh, gifted for the work, has been set aside. The conjurer kind of stands in between a variety of worlds. Uh, That sounds all very, uh, oh, oh, that's magnificent. Uh, Nah, it sucks. (laughs) Um, And those worlds could be things like a between the mundane and the arcane, between the living and the dead, uh, between the seen and the unseen. Uh, That's why you may have heard the phrase uh, two-headed, that a worker, a hoodoo worker, a conjurer is two-headed. They have two heads. They see in two directions, and perhaps even more. And so to be a conjurer kind of can be uh, my... My great teacher, Charles Hanson of Georgia, may his memory be a blessing, said something to me early on uh, when we first started working and learning together. He said, you will get so lonely in this business. He said, cling. He said, cling to your friends, to your spouse, to your children. Make sure your human relationships are good. He said, because... As time goes on, you're going to get lonelier and lonelier and lonelier and lonelier because people are going to primarily interact with you in one of two ways. Either A, they need you, and they genuinely do need you. They have problems. They need some sort of remediation on something. Or they're going to be scared to death of you, and they don't want to come anywhere near you. And so it can kind of dwindle down. Your world can kind of get smaller and smaller and smaller. And so for me to be a conjurer means to kind of always be standing in a crossroads, always standing there looking, people come up, I go, oh, go that way. Or something comes down, I go, no, you go back. And I don't know that it is inherently healing, but I do know that it is, at least for me, very much about a, a solution-based sort of situation. It is very much anti-oppression. Uh, hoodoo is formed uh, by people who are and were uh, oppressed, uh, and continue to be so to this day, and that is core to it. Does that mean that's all there is to it? Oh, there's no joy. There's no no. Of course, there's all that. There's 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 all that wonderful, you know, happiness, joy, prosperity. But we're always trying to open a door, open a window, grease a wheel. Find a little extra luck. Get through the system that exists, uh, that's sitting there trying to, to crush you. And because of that, I normally talk start discussions by this by saying something that, strangely, has pissed a bunch of people off, which is to say that hoodoo, quote-unquote, belongs, originates from black people in America, in the United States of America, period. And anyone who has a problem with that, I'm like, well, don't be involved in hoodoo then, right? If you cannot, if you're not concerned, if you're saying, oh, I'm a hoodoo, oh, I I do all this, okay. If you're not concerned with what's going on with black people right now, not a hundred years ago, not a historical thing, which, by the way, you should be concerned and educated about that as well, but your focus needs to be on the now, then get the hell out right? Go do something else. There's a ton of different kinds of things you could do. But if you're going to be in hoodoo, you cannot merely be interested in black ancestors. You need to be interested in living black people, black culture, what's going on, what's happening both in the negative and in the positive. What is the situation that's happening out in the streets? What is the situation that's happening in politics? What is the situation that's happening in culture? and also from a joyful place as well, uh, a celebratory place as well, because we don't need any goddamn uh, white saviors around here. Thank you very much. And so for me to be a conjurer is to stand between all of those those worlds, which is pretty normative for me, actually. My mother is a woman of color. Uh, uh, This is all audio recorded, so the rest of you at home don't get to see my face. Uh, By the way, you should thank... Uh, your lovely host, Makala, for that. That's a benefit that you don't have to look at me. I, I, you know, I'm as white as a goddamn sheet because of my father, uh, who was a man who was so white if you turned off the lights, he would have glowed. Uh, So that is also standing between worlds. Uh, There's a lot of my life experience that's standing between here and there. And rather than be crushed by the two great blocks that come together in whatever those situations are, I said, well, I better figure that the fuck out, Uh, you know. And so it's not just a guiding job, but a lot of it is. A lot of it is about, oh, what's going on with you? Okay, well, here, let me see what I can do. Okay, well, did you know? Okay, well, let's get this in to help you. And that has a variety of levels to it. It could be purely, uh, obviously, we don't practice medicine. Uh, The AMA would just love to throw our asses in jail but it does come with some herbal uh you know some herbology some you know oh this is good for whatever uh it comes with a an understanding of materia magica it can be limited to the simplicity of merely to possess the thing is good enough but then we go into the conjure and that's where it ups a ramp that's where it goes you know a little deeper a little higher a little lower whatever we want to express that as Where we are dealing with spirits, whether they be spirits of the dead or spirits of the materia magica, uh, botanical spirits, zoological spirits, mineral spirits, uh, spirits of places, spirits of times, um, spirits of ourselves, uh, our own indwelling spirit. I don't know if that answered the question, but there it is.
0: No, I loved that answer. I absolutely agree with everything that you said about honoring the oppressed lives of uh, both the living and the dead in terms of Black Americans and Black peoples not in America and the traditions that brought those, you know, ideas of magic into our consciousness, um, I, I harp on the idea that power for the sake of power alone tends to create a distortion, whereas power for the sake of co-creation with others tends to provide more remediation to all lives involved. So
2: I think that's also true of everything though. I think love for the sake of love, hate for the sake of hate. Uh, just anything for the sake of itself, where it become where it starts eating its own tail, you know, and and just pulling in on itself and condensing, right? It's like everything has should have a larger dimension to it to me. Uh, otherwise, it gets kind of. It can be destructive, uh, but uh, I think what it mostly is is it it's blind.
0: Uh, so honoring the thing as it is in itself allows for a deeper understanding of the impetus of where that comes from.
2: Yeah, I would agree with that, and also I think that is inherent to the tradition of hoodoo, and uh, before we go any further, let me address hoodoo very quickly. There are a lot of different names for this work, and there's some people that are like, I've never heard the word hoodoo, and I'm like, haven't you okay well if you want to stand if that's your hill to die on that's your business but it is called hoodoo it's called conjure um it's called uh doing the work it's called that stuff it's called helping yourself um it can it can also be called a root work um it can also be called witchcraft although normally when it's called witchcraft it's meant in a more uh malevolent way, a malefica, you know, it's like, yeah, but all of these are words that have been used for that. And it has existed in most of the the cultural atmosphere, Uh, you know, on the streets, in the church. Yeah, believe it or not, it used to be in the church. You know, I'm old enough to have lived through this evangelical takeover. And so there are a lot of people whose life experience has been that the church is profoundly anti-magical and that is meaning the protestant christian church in america and that is not the way it always was um you know uh, hoodoo was an active component in a lot of oh the primitive baptist church uh, uh a lot of you know a lot of different kinds of denominations uh that was there it was it was in there And so we even have hoodoo workers in the past who have been directly associated with uh, the church, which is where you get the names of people, deacon so-and-so, brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so, always told you that they were more involved with the church. And so to me, the emphasis on that is that this is a normative part of culture and The thing of itself, as we just said, is that hoodoo is expansive. Hoodoo is always immediately kind of caught up with technology. Uh, In old work, you see, uh, draw a picture, right? Either in the dirt or on a piece of paper with a piece of charcoal or a pencil. Draw a picture. Then immediately when durotype, tintype photos become available, you hear, oh, scratch this on the back and use this to make it rust if you're doing some sort of like, oh, a cursing work or something or a dismissal work, and then immediately paper photography becomes available, and now it's, oh, get a picture like this. As the technology changes, Hoodoo is very adaptive. Uh, The moment we start having metal mailboxes in front of our houses where the mail is delivered, you start seeing Hoodoo work being done on that mailbox, either in a positive or a negative way. Uh, it, it's always moving forward. It's not at all trapped in a, a glass, you know, if I could keep time in a bottle. No, it's, it's always, that bottle's always open and is always taking in new things. And that even speaks to the core of hoodoo, which is hoodoo is uh, a uniquely American experience in that America has this big lie it likes to tell. And the big lie about America is that the great American melting pot, and that ain't just ain't the way it is. America's not a melting pot. America's a tossed salad. (laughs) And so if you don't like cucumbers, you can pick the cucumbers out and put them in a segregated salad bowl and redline the cucumbers so they can't get good housing and they can't vote. And let the tomatoes shoot the cucumbers in the street and lynch the cucumbers. And so that we always have that. It's not like a cake, right? In a cake, you can't get the eggs back. That's gone, man. You know, you can sit there with a fork forever and you just can't get the eggs back out. In the salad, yeah, you could take that all back out. But what is unique and wonderful about Hoodoo is that it does live up to that that promise. Oh, America's going to be a melting pot. Well, mm, eh, we can keep trying, but it's very flawed. More of a tossed salad. Hoodoo's not. Hoodoo has taken in. Hoodoo is kind of like gumbo. You know, if you had gumbo, okay, if you know anything about gumbo, and I hope you do, uh, you can't have a gumbo without a roux. You have to start with a roux. Well, that's French. It's right out of French cooking, period. Gumbo has just a little bit of touch of wine in it. Okay, that's also going to be French. But it's not gumbo without okra and rice. In fact, gumbo means okra. And that okra and rice comes from where? Africa. That is the African component to it. But when the pot's all done and you're going to, you know, we're about ready to have it finished, you're going to sprinkle gumbo filet on it. And what is that? Well, that's ground sassafras. And that comes from First Tribe, Indigenous Native Americans. That's where that comes from. So you can't have gumbo. Unless you have the African part, the French part, and the Native American part. They come together and make this unique dish. Isn't that great? When you cook it right, it's fantastic. Same thing with hoodoo. Hoodoo's base, its root, no pun intended, is Africa and African sorcerous practices. A lot of people nowadays say, oh, well, hoodoo must be in a, quote, ATR, an African traditional religion. No, it's not. The best I could term it is it's an ATS, it's an African traditional sorcery, mm. but it doesn't have that religious component to it. It wasn't the province of the priest and the priestess, it wasn't, it was the province of the sorcerer out of African sorcerer societies. And because of that, as it came here to readapt to survive, it adopted in others. One of the first things that it adopted in was first tribe. Aboriginal Native American folk beliefs, folk magic, and botanical and zoological knowledge. That plant does this, that animal, because I've never seen that shit before. Okay, thank you. Then it adopts in a lot of British, uh, UK, Scotland, uh, Ireland, England, Saxony uh, folk beliefs. Uh, and that kind of twists some people's heads around. They go, oh, wait a minute, that don't sound right. That sounds like some bullshit. Why would it have that? Well, because up at the big house, that's what so-called master and so-called missy believe, and so some of it is enforced, meaning, oh, they have a folk tradition that you're supposed to knock wood or toss salt or whatever, and you damn well best do it, or you can get you know, in serious trouble. But the main component is, hey, there's a lot of shit that these white-ass bastards are scared of. <clears throat> if I could get my hands on that. So as an example, there really are no, there's really not a, a serious tradition of black spectral dogs in Africa. But they're sure as shit is in Scotland and Central England, etc. And those are, they're malefic. Like, oh, you don't want to mess with those. And that's how we end up with, quote unquote, hellhounds in hoodoo. Because if I'm an enslaved individual and I find out that you're scared of black spectral hounds, well, can I get a hold of a black spectral hound, right? Because if I can get a hold of a black spectral hound, now I've got some kind of edge. You know, you're scared to hell of that. Then after emancipation and the northern migration, we start seeing the influx of In places like Baltimore, Chicago, New York, Washington, D.C., etc., we see the influx of Jewish uh, folk magic traditions and Jewish formulae come in to Hoodoo. During the Western migration, uh, the now freed, but are they really? uh, Black Americans, it's the first time we can really call them that, uh, working on railroads encounter back in the day what they would have called the Celestials. Who are the Celestials? They're Chinese. And so now we start, if you've ever wondered, kids, why the hell is there hell notes? Why is there hell money in Hoodoo? Well, that's where it comes from. Eventually, get to the West Coast and we encounter people uh, from the Indian subcontinent. Uh, again, if you've ever walked into your standard back in the day or, and even up until relatively modern period, this period, uh, walked into a candle and conjure shops and there's a giant-ass statue of Ganesh in there and you're like, what the fuck is Ganesh doing in here? That's why. Because we can say of hoodoo that two of its core principles are, if it works, then it is true. And if it's good enough for you, it's good enough for me. And so it's expansive. And so to talk about, like, as we said, the, the core of a thing or the essence of a thing, it's taking in all of this and making a unique thing it's very much like jazz it's very very much like jazz because a lot of people when they encounter jazz they go oh well they're just you know these guys come on they're just getting up there toot 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 Rudy boop boop they anybody (laughs) my kid could do that I could do that and it's like no you could not and the minute you try you find that you're not a very good you know uh, jazz performer because jazz has rules but it looks like it doesn't. It looks like it's incredibly freeform, that it's just literally They're making it up as they go along. But it has rules. Jazz is on the floor. Jazz is a square. There, there, There's an understanding about how we come in and go out, how we do engage in going off on a rift and making changes. And you have to learn that. And then once you learn that and you become good at jazz, then you can produce something that sounds like, it's just done at ease, it's natural, uh, you know. Quote: "You're making it up." Unfortunately, that means that a lot of people in some other magical traditions have approached hoodoo that way. Oh, it's basically just chaos magic. I mean, son of a bitch, I can do whatever I yeah. want. Just hoodoo—they're just grabbing shit off the ground—and it's like, yeah, but we're not. You have to understand the structure of it. Once you understand the structure of it, there's a vast area for self-expression, it has been said, and it's not incorrect, it's not completely correct, but it's not, certainly not incorrect, that we can best designate the act of doing hoodoo, the act of this conjuration, as a kind of performance, which is not to mean that it's disingenuous, not to mean like, oh, it's a performance, they're just putting on a, eh." no, It's like playing an instrument or dancing or singing or painting, in that there is technique that you must understand and have. And there are tools that the better your tools, and you know, and you make choices about what pigments or what place or what notes or what instruments or how we're going to express the dance or the song. And you're making these choices out of an informed kind of storehouse that then processes, changes, adds to, sometimes subtracts from, intentionally, the performance. And that performance can be ephemeral, a one-off, or we can study it and repeat it. And I I can play that song the way this musician played that song. You know, this is like you can go to YouTube and type in your favorite song and then covers and find a bunch of different interpretations of that song. It's still that song, mm-hmm. right? But now it's with heavy metal instruments. Now it's all brass, Herb Albert kind of, you know, Tijuana brass, you know, but it's still that song, but it has a different kind of interpretation. And we see that in hoodoo. I can take these elements. So to say that hoodoo is a kind of performance. You know, in many ways is accurate. There are some ways it's inaccurate, but it's it's very accurate.
0: I love that. So when you say that, you know, hoodoo is a practice of the crossroads, you're kind of saying like that center of the crossroads is the gumbo. And all the different roads that lead to that center are, you know, the different uh, cultures and communities that have influenced the flavor of the of the work um, i
2: think what i'm i think what i'm saying is that the crossroads is a place that all roads meet at and all roads flow away from and so kudu is a practice that is adaptive and expansive and so it's constantly being fed into and giving back out
0: Okay. Okay. I see. So it's more about the, you know, esoteric mystery of the crossroads as like the choices we make and the things that blow in and out of our lives due to these choices.
2: Right. Again, understanding that we still are within a context. We're still within a framework. It's not just do as you please. Right.
0: You have to learn the rules before you can break them.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely, and even more than breaking them it, 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 before you can be, before you can have your own inspiration, before you can have. So Pablo Picasso, who is a complete asshole. Uh, <laughs> hi Pablo, hi. I know you're dead, but hi. Um, Pablo Picasso said, uh, "When inspiration finds you, it best finds you working." Uh, so in other words, the more we work, the more we do whatever our particular Raison de terre, our particular craft, our particular thing is, the more opportunity we have for personalization, inspiration, appropriate addition, uh, which the person who is orthodox is always going to see as a terrible change, and the person who's heterodox is always going to say, more, 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 more. Um, I had an old rabbi, and he summed it up perfectly. And in this, he was speaking actually about uh, observance in Judaism, level of observance, but it fits so many things. He said, observance is like driving a car on the highway. He said, there's always going to be somebody that's going much faster than you. And when they zoom by you at 90 miles an hour, you go, who the hell, that crazy asshole, he'll kill us all, right? this madman, And then there's always somebody you end up getting stuck behind who's going 30 miles under the speed limit. And you're like, hurry up, you son of a bitch. This guy here tooling, come on, I got things to do. And that is in his example, what Jewish observance is about. There's somebody who's always so stringent that you're like, come on. And then there's always somebody who's so progressive that you're like, he'll kill us all. And, To me, that was an incredibly formative thing to hear because I've seen it in everything. It's true of politics. It's true of social change. It's true of economics. It's true of religions. It's true of our own magical practices. There's always some guy going faster than you that you're like, this
3: maniac.
2: And there's always somebody who's more rigid and slow than you that you're like,
3: come the fuck
2: on. Because just like on the highway, we all believe we're the perfect driver. I'm the best driver here. My driving's flawless. I know exactly what I'm doing. Therefore, everybody that's not doing what I'm doing is either a crazy asshole who's going to kill us all or some slowpoke grandpa who's trying to drag us down. And that's just that's I've just seen that everywhere in life.
0: So are you your implication then becomes that doing the work of a conjure man or a hoodoo practitioner is sort of like finding that middle way, finding that sweet spot between two traditions or oppression and liberation. You're, you're always
2: gonna think you're always gonna think it's you. Yeah. You're always gonna think it's you. I'm the guy. I'm doing it just right. I'm the fucking porridge that Goldilocks picked, right? Because there's always going to be somebody who's like, well, what if we did this different? And you're going to be like, maniac, you're going to kill us all. And there's always going to be somebody who's like, well, if you don't get it exactly on a Tuesday and blah, 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 you're like, oh, come on, grandpa, speed up.
0: So there's an art to it.
2: Yeah, but it's also a conceit. Mm-hmm. It's a personal conceit. We all, we all think our politics are perfect, Right whether we're, whether we, whether we say we're a conservative or whether we say we're a progressive or whatever, we always think I'm right. Right. Otherwise you wouldn't be doing it. You know what I'm saying? You know, you wouldn't walk, walk around saying a bunch of political shit that you absolutely internally disagreed with. I mean, you might be so oppressed or self-hating that you might do that and then you're fucking miserable. But most people are saying that because they believe it, you know? And so then everybody who says something quote radical, Hey, Let's not oppress these people. You say, you maniac, you're going to kill us. And then for us, everybody who says, hey, let's go a little slower, you know, in the fullness of time. Maybe these people can have freedoms and maybe we'll let gay people exist. You say, "Ah, come the fuck on, grandpa, you speed up. Uh, we're not going to go slow. There's actually yeah, the actual expression for that in social movement, go slow. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's always there. You can see it in your own life. Like, ladies and gentlemen, after you finish listening to this, please examine your own life and see how you think what you're doing is perfect. And other people that are going faster than you are maniacs and people that are going slower, you need to get the fuck out of your way. And when you see that, then that opens up the doors. Then you can start going, well, wait a minute. Maybe I could go a little faster. Maybe I sometimes need to go a little slower. Right? Because there's always this tension between heterodoxy and orthodoxy. And most of us are going to be trapped somewhere in the middle. And that means we're going to do both. There are going to be times when we're very, very orthodox. Like, well, we want to do it exactly right. Particularly when you're doing a piece of magic you may have never done before. You're like, well, no, it says on the goddamn recipe, it's on the paper. Like the guy wrote it down for me right? Like uh, nine drops of right at mid, right? You're like, I want it to work. I mean, look at cooking. Cooking's the same way. Okay. You get your grandma's, uh, pineapple upside down cake, I guess, recipe. And often the first time you're going to do it exactly the way grandma's recipe is because you remember her pineapple upside down cake. It was the delight to you. You want it to taste the way you want that That nostalgia. You want that kid moment where you're like, oh, wow, yeah, I remember that. And then you start saying, maybe I could put a little more cinnamon. I like cinnamon. Or maybe, you know, or I'm vegetarian or I'm vegan. And so, how, or I'm gluten intolerant. Or so, how do I do this within my needs? We're all moving back and forth between orthodoxy and heterodoxy. Going fast. And going slow and the idea is to not get the conceit that we are perfect
0: so in in my mind when something is a sorcerous tradition versus a religious practice there is already less of an of an orthodoxy to the sorcerous tradition because we're not you know appealing to some higher divine authority or like the idea isn't necessary to elevate one's consciousness towards any sort of, you know, bettering ourselves. It's more about practically creating what we want to see in the material kingdom when we're doing a sorceress practice. So I would assume that the idea to constantly challenge yourself to break out of your own self-importance is more your own personal flavor of hoodoo and maybe not so implicitly something that everybody who practices it tends to, to want to achieve?
2: Well, what I tell everybody is, remember, no matter who you are, no matter what your background is, no matter who your ancestors were, you are joining hoodoo. Hoodoo is not joining you. So there is, I mean, Van Van should smell like Van Van.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: You know what I'm saying? It's not a religious practice. It is a formula. And that formula is to do a particular thing, to create a particular, if you will, alchemical process, a, a particular substance, okay? Because it has a particular kind of power and a particular set of spirits in it. And that is a tradition. And so you could say, I want to put vanilla in my van van but is it van van then right you might enjoy szechuan enchiladas kick ass eat all the Mm -hmm. szechuan enchiladas you want but you can't really say to me hey you want to come over to the house for enchiladas and then when i arrive there's oyster sauce on them Mm -hmm. i'm gonna go what is this oh these are szechuan enchiladas i'm gonna go okay here's the thing i like you and thank you for inviting me over dinner And you have a lovely home and i'm so happy to be here but you denied me critical need to know information about this motherfucking meal, all right, and that was oyster sauce <laughs> so which normally does not go with enchiladas, okay so there's there's something in between, even there, right, even when we're saying what we're saying now, there's still attention, there's still a well, we don't want to go too far, we don't want to go too fast, we want to go too slow because we want van van to smell like van van. That's why it works, right? That doesn't mean that we can't come up with a new floor wash, right? That doesn't mean that you can't say, okay, I've learned how to do these floor washes, and I think if I do this, then it'll get me a different kind of effect that I haven't found yet. Okay, great. Now there's a new floor wash. That's terrific. That's magnificent. That's exactly what we should be doing. But if you're saying, oh, this is the traditional mojo for whatever, well, then it should be. You shouldn't be dropping oyster sauce in it at the end, because then you're not dealing with those particular pieces of materia magica and those spirits, and therefore that conjuration. So again, there's always that tension, right? How do we, how do we navigate? How do we find our way through, right?
4: Mm-hmm. And
2: I would even say to you, in my opinion, like that fucking matters. Oh, he's got an opinion. Uh, yeah, me and everybody the fuck else, Jesus, <laughs> Is that this is also true of religions. That, that religions that are, in my mind, somewhat... I want to be careful about using this word, but it is the word that comes to me, healthy. And I don't mean healthy as in a, 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 a contrast to toxic. I mean healthy as in growing, living, breathing, right? Like it's it's healthy. Like a child is healthy. N- not necessarily healthy like, uh, you know, oh, that's not radiation. It's good for you. Um, have that. They, they 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 continue to kind of, well, how do we adapt to this? Or how do we respond to that? And religions that, have a this is the way the fuck it is and we're never gonna re-examine any fucking thing and anything new that occurs that we don't know about is oh as an example of the devil (laughs) and it's like wow well that's gonna be fucking everything for the rest of history pal right you know I mean at what point are you gonna start throwing electronics away because well they didn't have that in the Bible and it's like, no, you're right. Didn't. Yeah. No LED lighting there in uh book of judges. Uh, straight up. Good for you. Right. Jesus did not have a bicycle. Probably could have changed the entire fucking story, by the way, if he had, folks. Uh, one bike, different story, you know. Uh, but we have to keep thinking about that. Or you become reductive. Right. You say, oh, a bicycle is just a horse that you pump with your feet to make it go. And it's like, is it, you know, I mean, we're not, we don't need to fit everything through the aperture into the little box. Right. And we see this a lot because then what you do is you engage in a kind of denialism. You take something that's absolutely historic, like, uh, oh, let's say to use a general term, the queer community, LGBTQ people, And you say, that's, well, they didn't have that when I was a kid and they sure as hell didn't have that. I'm like, ladies and gentlemen, the fucking Greeks are here and they'd like to have a word (laughs) with you uh, about this. In fact, every culture throughout history is here and would like to have a discussion with you about this because you can't find it in your little thing, right? Whether that's a Bible or a set of teachings or whatever. And that's not to say that, therefore, it's all fucking bullshit and let's throw it all out. It's to say a healthy system is growing, mm-hmm. right? And growth is painful, growth is uncomfortable, growth normally happens because of some discomfort. I need more light the plant says, so I'll move my little vines and my branches over here. Not a comfortable process. I need, I want, there's a, there's, there's some sort of enrichment. So I force the growth, you know, and and growth can be painful. Growth can be, sometimes growth has destructive elements around it because we're getting rid of the old, we're cutting out old wood we're clearing the land these are all metaphor folks don't go out and start burning a bunch of shit because you listen to this podcast um or do yeah or uh, do. you know i yeah we're not uh you know saturn vox is not legally responsible for the opinions expressed by professor charles Porterfield. <laughs> so they're now they're clear um so but we we have to keep kind of growing in some way you know and normally, when you see a thing that's about to become a problem, it's somebody being very ardent about not progressing. I refuse, we can't, we won't, we shan't okay uh and then often a lot of people uh, put that at the feet of some divine force that hopefully was already infinitely bigger than them, and it describes it to you know, their own wants and desires. You know, the very, very old quote is that first man makes a little doll that looks like himself and then calls it God. We see it in all sorts of things. Oh, there can't be female clergy in this particular thing. Why? Oh, because the divine source wouldn't like that. Okay. Let's say you're right. Let's say you're right. Let's say absolutely this divine power Is for whatever reason, and you can really sweeten the deal up, you can really sell it, right? And say, well, this represents
3: the masculine and its purity, and the masculine has to have a place with the feminine, and we're just respecting the man.
2: Okay, yeah, cool, cool, yeah, yeah, that sounds kick-ass, bro. Where's the feminine? Is there a nearby goddess? that you know our sisters can go to and these two are not at war mm-hmm. oh well the masculine's always going to be the dominant because oh okay so that's your vision of masculinity is no oh, well no no we receive that from the most high power in the unit, okay so that's a vision right that doesn't make you the fuck right it makes you right for you but then when you start wandering around and limiting other people's choices and other people's ways of living uh, and particularly when you get scary, right? Oh, it gets real scary because then what if everybody disagrees with you? What if like every woman in the world goes, hey, I got an idea. How about you go fuck yourself? <laughs> now you end up in an inevitable position where you're sitting around some darkened room smoking cigarettes with spotlights coming down on your council around the table going, we got to do something about these fucking chicks. <laughs> right. We Oh, we got to go oppress women because they're disagreeing with us. and to me i have no need of a small god like oh oh, look it's a little it's a it's a it's a human but really big it's a human with all these it's like that's cool good for it kick ass yeah nah i'm i'm cool i'm totally cool you know i don't i don't need that kind of oh it's just like us It's like, Jesus Christ, I got enough problem with presidents and heads of corporations, and now you wanted me to fucking add in a divine figure with lightning bolts and shit? Mm -hmm. No. But we see it again and again. Oh, we can't have gay people in this practice. It's not traditional. Uh, Okay. In what sense? Well, we just didn't have gay people wherever. Really? Okay. So wherever. And everyone from every continent on the earth at some point in time will tell you they had no gay people. There are no gay people in Russia. We never have the gay people in Russia. We never have the gay people in Africa. We never have the gay people in South America. We never have the gay people in Germany because we killed them all. We never had the the gay people wherever. And it's like, oh, really? Oh, okay. What were you doing to make sure that didn't happen? It is natural. It's like, no, it's fucking not. It happens in nature all the goddamn time. So what were you, what was your culture doing? To make sure that that didn't fucking happen. And is that really a thing, or is that a thing you created culturally, right? Yeah.
0: It sounds like uh, what you're talking about here can be really easily remedied by people, you know, putting the effort into learning their actual history. Like I'm thinking very explicitly of um, the biblical kingdom of uh, Judah. And the book of Deuteronomy being found by King Josiah in a random hole in the back of his, you know, king room, like, okay, yeah, that definitely wasn't written by you. But in the in the book of Deuteronomy, and the prophets and judges were very anti-women because they were assuming that the reason why they as Jews were getting so oppressed, well, it must be the women's fault. It must be because the women are worshiping in the temple. We still have asherah practice. And, uh, you know, then then that there was a Jewish female consort to Elohim, and that is now kind of a lost tradition. And
2: you have to look about pressures from other people as well, right? Like whenever you talk about Judaism, you have to say, well, how how am I, where am I studying Judaism from? Right. Am I studying Judaism through a Christian lens because of supersessionism? Because, oh, oh, Judeo-Christian. They ain't no such animal. You'll find a unicorn before you find Judeo-Christian. OK. And by the way, if you find a unicorn, let me know. Uh, so but it, it, where are our sources coming from? Who are we talking to? How are we talking about this? I like the whole thing about, well, you know, it's Judeo-Christian to be anti-homosexual. It says in the Bible, it's like, okay, so let's talk about David and fucking Benjamin here for Mm -hmm. a real long time about that. And let's talk about how you mistranslated this. Well, we didn't mistranslate this. We understand your language better than you do. Oh, okay, cool. Kick it. I'm I'm glad. Uh, You also, I have noticed, understand my Kabbalah better than I do. You also, I've noticed, understand my laws better than, but thank God you showed up. We were just wandering around in the dark, um, feeling around, you know. So we always have to look at sources because we have to take in things about social oppression, uh, uh, cultural changes, military takeovers, and that's very important in hoodoo. Like you're talking about a very fractured situation here. You're talking about a whole bunch of people in Africa who are being enslaved. Okay, I really dislike it when people say slaves. It's like slave is not their natural state. They are enslaved. Yeah. So somebody people are literally showing up with whips and guns and and, and sabers and and saying, "Right, off you go." Torturing them, making them go through the transatlantic, you know, uh passage People are dying, taking them into the Latin quarter or the Anglo quarter, putting all sorts of bizarre ass fucking oppressive rules on them about how they can live, how they can talk, how they can sing, what their names can be, what languages they can speak, where they can walk, what shapes and colors they can fucking know and fracturing things. And so now we can all get real hot under the collar about it, can't we? You know, I mean, there's something to be said when. African-Americans identify Protestant Christianity as an oppressive thing. There is a truth in that. There's there's absolutely a truth in that. But you have to mingle that with its importance, particularly if you're involved in any kind of ancestor worship or ancestor veneration, you have to mingle that with how your great grandmother felt, right? You can't, you can't have it pure. And again, we're back to driving too fast, driving too slow. Mm-hmm. You know, because great grandmother was using things out of the Bible, had an abiding faith in that, and it empowered her and it sustained her. Does that mean it wasn't at some point potentially, or not even potentially, but actually used in an oppressive manner? Absolutely. And one of the biggest problems I have, not only with various magical practices, but also my entire society, is this quest for fucking purity. Like, there ain't none, right? Like, oh, well, I liked so-and-so, and and I was going to vote for them, but they wore this tie, and I didn't like it. And so now that's right off the table. And I'm like, dude, there's no pure anything. You know, Voltaire said that the perfect was the enemy of the good. And it's absolutely true. If you say, I'm only going to eat a perfect meal, you're going to starve to death. (laughs) I'll only live in a perfect house, you're going to be homeless on the street. I'll only be in a perfect relationship. You're going to die alone. We're looking for good. I want a good meal, a good house, a good relationship, not perfect. Perfect is unattainable. Purity is unattainable. And what to me is shocking about that is Westerners, particularly Westerners who are involved in some sort of esoteric or magical practice, is that you don't see that that is still a Christian influence. Yeah. That is still a Protestant influence a Catholic as well, perfection cult, right? Centered around this idea that Jesus, who, I love the idea that Jesus was perfect. I'm like, Jesus, Jesus was perfect. Joshua ben Yosef was perfect. (laughs) A guy who was hungry, who literally curses a tree because he has a hangry fit. Okay? Like, literally, the story would have been different if one of the apostles had been like, oh, Jesus, have a Snickers, you're not acting like yourself, you know? curses a fucking tree because he's like i want some figs oh you don't have any fucking figs fuck you i have power i'm like oh yeah perfect sounds perfect to me a guy who gets pissed off about some civil things that are going on walks outside picks up a piece of rope sits down braids a whip doesn't buy a whip <laughs> doesn't go to his pal who has a whip no sits there for like two or three hours here tried to braid a whip it ain't a 20 minute thing braids a fucking whip and goes back in and beats the shit out of a bunch of people, kicks over tables like fucking Chuck Norris. Oh yeah. Perfect. I see. He's absolutely a guy who literally weeps like just sobbing in a garden, asking his okay, please, dad, please, mother, please don't do this. Please. I don't want to do this. Please. I don't want to do this. Oh yeah. He's perfect. How the fuck, what use is he if he's perfect? Right? He's a far better use if he's human-ish, right? I can relate to him. I can gather information. I can be inspired. If he's perfect, it's no big deal. Oh, j- Jesus, I'm going to have them kill you. Yes, Father. You're, it's going to be a banking holiday. Oh, about, about four days? <laughs> only three. Oh, okay. I only have to be dead three days. Cool, no problem. I can do that standing on my head. What a fucking sacrifice. Big deal. Right. Well,
0: that's why I prefer the the Gnostic Jesus, who is uh, known to be flawed and celebrated in his flaws. The, the yeah. whole idea of perfection and purity would seem implicitly a- an antithesis to what you are talking about here with Hoodoo, because it's a class issue. It's like, if yes. you have time to clean that apartment... That is a demonstration of wealth that, that you have spare time. Um, uh-huh. And I, so I see a lot of that as the Catholic Church wanting their churches to look pristine, filled with gold, filled with this, that, and the other to demonstrate wealth as a form of power, not so much, you know, had anything to do with Jesus. They came up with this idea of who they wanted Jesus to be that was manufactured in and of itself.
2: And it's how we get prosperity ministries and all that fucking destructive shit. But we even see it in magical practices. People will say, oh, our practice is several, several hundred years old. Uh, It comes out of people who have not always had a lot. uh, And uh, it's very, you know, it's still alive. It's still successful. Uh, Never, ever, 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 ever do A, B or C which are normative things to the practice light a candle have a mirror uh do this kind of work in a place where you sleep. And I'm like, okay, I see why you say that. And I see why if that is a choice, that is a preferred choice. Let me take you back to that thing where you were talking about a bunch of poor people 300 years ago. I'm pretty sure these, this is a one room shack. Yeah. Right? Well, they're not sleeping outside, buddy. So are you telling me to do this work outside? No, no, never do it where other people can see it. Oh, okay, so uh, make sense, motherfucker. That's all I'm asking for here. Make sense, okay? If you said to me, it is preferable where it can be done. If you must do this, then do these other things, right? Like, oh, if you have to do this in this space, then do this kind of cleaning before you go to bed. Or hang a sheet, in between or so, something, then I would go, Oh, that'll make sense. that all makes sense because we're talking about preferability options, how we navigate. But when you just say don't, okay, well, you know, don't's easy, right? Don't. Okay. Well then I guess I just won't, if I, if I live in a one room apartment, I just won't do anything. <laughs> well, no, you should still be doing the other thing. Well, where the fuck am I supposed to sleep pal? And that's one of the things I like about hoodoo is that hoodoo is practical. Hoodoo is imminently practical. And so even when it says this ain't the best thing, you should then do these other, There, there's some modality, some other options here about how we address that. Right. But there's very little don't. Right. Right. Uh, There are, there are warnings like, Hey, don't, don't talk to so-and-so like this. Hey, don't make a deal with this thing. Hey, don't eat that. But that's different because that's not a, you should actually be eating that. You should be talking to that. You should be making deals with that. But when we get to those issues about like, particularly you see it a lot about sleeping spaces in a lot of traditions, right? Don't do this right in front of never fuck somebody else in front of your ancestors, And it's like, okay, fair. Totally get it. Right. Wouldn't have wanted to do it when they were alive. I'm (laughs) with you. Now, what are the options? Right. Do I put a cloth over their space? Does that work? Can I put a sheet between me and their space? Can I turn their pictures around to face the wall? Like where? Oh, no, you just can't. How the fuck did you and me get here? How did we all get here? You know, if back in this period of time, we're living in these one room spaces and we are doing this ancestor work, but we can't, fu- are, 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 is there a lot of outdoor sex going on in the past that I'm not? And then all the little neo-pagans are like, yes, outdoor sex. And I'm like, mm-hmm. cool. Okay. Well, you've got your liaison to tear down. Okay. That's, that's, oh, and a pole with ribbons on it. Okay, cool. You're prepared. Great. Okay. Good good job. I see how that works for you. Uh, that's fantastic, but what about the rest of us, right?
0: Yeah. So there's still though obviously some traditions of cleansing and being clean in hoodoo, like you were mentioning the washes yes. for the floor, you know, different baths for for the body. So yes. what what w- would you Would you be able to share with us the nuanced difference to you between pure and clean?
2: Pure is an essentialist concept. This is pure. It lacks any sort of other thing. Uh, Like we can talk about pure gold. Mm -hmm. All right. We get some gold. We smelt it down. We do this process to it to remove remove this things from it. Eventually, we literally pour it into, in the old days, cups that were lined with, uh, like cascarilla, like egg powder, to draw out. And eventually, we get the purest gold we can. Mm-hmm. That gold does not have these other elements in it. And now, it's not going to, right? The, the gold ring is not going to somehow get iron into it, Right? uh it, it is in its natural state. That's all well and good for certain substances, metals, liquids, etc. It it's not at all human. Right? This is a pure human, meaning what? Now we've got to define it. Right? I I would think that sitting here right now, barring any sort of oh caps or fillings or, or other medical, you know, oh, I've got a pin in my arm or whatever. I would think you and I are already pure humans. Uh, I'm not aware that I've been mixed with any horses. Uh, I'm not aware that I have any fish in me, uh, outside of a descendancy of, you know, uh, evolution. I'm not sure how I, I become an impure person. So what we're actually talking about is I have on me or within me certain elements through actions or associations or contacts that are negative. So actually what we're not saying is impure. So we have to be careful of that term. We're saying unclean,
4: Mm -hmm. right?
2: And then that becomes a super hot button phrase as well, but... It's no different than saying I worked in the garden and I'm dirty, right? That does—that's not an essentialist position, right? Like, oh, I worked in the garden today, so I can never enter the kingdom of heaven. What? Go take a bath. (laughs) Uh, So to me, those are different, right? That quest for purity, which I understand can be a very serious sort of thing for certain people involved in more serious alchemical type practices. But to me, it's kind of a diminishing fucking returns, right? I, I already am a pure human. That That's what I am. Oh, okay. I've got some fillings. Okay. Well, I guess those aren't whatever, but I'm not trying to be a Luddite mm-hmm. and say, you know, oh, oh, which by the way, I happen to hate that. I happen to hate that we're like, oh yeah, Luddite is anti-technology. And it's like, Luddites actually more kind of like pro union fuck replacing me and uh, putting me into poverty to have these machines do this shit rather than anti technology. And it's become a term that we mean anti technologist. But the original guy's going, King Ludd told us to come in here with mallets and destroy all this shit. That's more like union shit, mm-hmm. okay? Then that's anti technology. But I don't think that I would say of somebody who had a pin. In their arm or a plate on their leg, on, you know, on their femur or something that helped held held bone together. I don't think I would could describe them as impure, right? Uh, I don't think I would describe them as unclean. Uh, so when we talk about bathing, spiritual washing, what we're talking about is the removal of certain kinds of energetic spiritual uh things that can get on us to a negative extent right we're literally talking about washing our hands before we cook food we're saying hey i've been hanging out uh me and my pals for some reason have been going to an abandoned uh, uh supposedly haunted insane asylum historic insane asylum a lot uh this uh, last month and i'm feeling pretty weird now and so my attitude about that is, first of all, why the fuck did you do that? The hell? And what, what kind of goddamn bass-ackwards, goddamn ghost adventure, sci-fi network shit did you decide to do to yourself? I would never go in there. Uh, but now you've got something, quote, on you, right? Mm-hmm. Residue. Whether that's emotional or, quote, unquote, psychic or, quote, unquote, spiritual or psychological you've got something on you and so there are methods of getting that off but you're not impure right you're you're dirty Mm
0: -hmm. you're
2: dirty so wash it off and that 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 thing is affecting your health
0: so there is a a metaphysical difference here in that uh to say i am now impure is a is a qualifier on the self the sense of self the the quote unquote, soul being that's moving through this world, whereas dirty or unclean is more like something's attached to me, something, there's a spirit or there's an energy that has attached itself to me. All
2: right. I'm, I'm not that fancy. I, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying I'm not that fancy. To me, that's kit and caboodle. I mean, right. I mean, is it, do I have to do a bunch of intellectual deep breathing exercises to, you know, wipe my ass? You know, uh, I went to the bathroom and now I need to wipe my ass. Boom. That's it. Yeah. But, but is that more of a spiritual ass wiping? It's like, it's all, it's all, it's, it's, it's the whole ball of wax. Okay. Right. Okay. Don't walk around with a stanky ass. Boom. You know, it has all sorts of repercussions medically, uh, uh, socially, uh, in terms of your interrelationship with people that you're personal with, uh, your own you know, and, and then there's there's going to be a spiritual or or magical or meta you know metaphysical component to that too. A walk around with a stanky ass, it, it's all it's all part and parcel to me. You know, I mean, it, let's go back to the the haunted abandoned sanitarium. Mm-hmm. You know what? You should probably also have before you go in there. You should probably get a tetanus shot. There's going to be a lot of old rusty. Shit in there, old beds, etc. You might cut yourself and get lockjaw. You might need a tetanus shot beforehand. You probably want to wear a face mask. A lot of those older buildings may have asbestos or have used lead paint. There's particulate matter that's normally resting because nobody walks through here that you're going to be churning up because you're literally walking through it. So it's going up and that's going to get into your lungs. Uh, You might want to be careful about your eyes. Uh, that you don't get that particulate matter in your eyes, you're going into an abandoned space. And then also there might be ghosts, lingering tormented spirits, uh, emotional residue of the fact that there were so many mentally disturbed people held here and back in the day in often torturous situations. So you might want to have some protective amulet, charm, talismans. You might want to have cleansed yourself before you went in and cleansed yourself after you come out, uh, for a spiritual bath. Like to me, that's all part of the thing mm-hmm. that's in one shoebox. I don't need to parcel it out and go, well, the tetanus shot. Uh, no, no, get a tough fucking tetanus shot, right? This place, you're going to get locked jaw in this fucking place. Okay. There's, everything's waiting to cut you in there. Don't roll around on the floor. Okay. Don't breathe in the old asbestos fibers. Uh, don't go in there without some spiritual protection, which is the reason that for me, that's a kind of a, why are we even going in there? I mean, once it's A, B, C, D, E, F, all these things, like what's the Koi Bono? What's the benefit of, Oh, it'll be cool. I can think of a lot of cool shit that I would like to do with my time (laughs) that does not involve, Breathing asbestos, getting lead paint flecks uh, on me, getting shit in my eyes, getting fucking lockjaw, being possessed, uh, having an oppressive spirit attach itself to me, uh, having a sense of overt depression, hearing horrible screams—you know, like it's the whole thing. Why are we even? This isn't a fun house, guys. This isn't. This isn't a roller coaster. No.
0: So, so then. In terms of hoodoo, there, it's all, all the formula is very practical, whereas the theology or even potentially lack thereof of a metaphysical system comes from whether or not the practitioner adheres to a religious system in adjacent to the hoodoo practice.
2: That would be correct when we speak about religion. Absolutely. There are Catholic practitioners of hoodoo. There are Protestant uh, practitioners of hoodoo. There are Judaic, there are Jewish practitioners practitioners of hoodoo. uh, And they all, and of course in Protestantism, there's all that denominational uh, Baskin-Robbins, 32 denominations, no waiting thing. (laughs) uh, And that is actually true. And there are some that, but there are very few that don't have any kind. Of anything, even a malevolent worker who might be engaging in some sort of antimitic, you know, some kind of like a hail, Satan. Uh, there's there's always something, right? But that is variable. That is variable uh, by the practitioner. And it does cast a color and a reflection on the work. But it would be correct to say that the normative religious practice in hoodoo is Protestant Christianity. Hoodoo is its largest in the Anglo quarter. That's where it really it, it comes. The ATRs primarily come out of the Latin quarter because of the difference between the way uh, the Catholic attitude of how we keep slaves versus the Protestant attitude of how we keep slaves. It's uncool to keep slaves, by the way. Uh, that's, a, that's your PSA, ladies and gentlemen listening. Uh, to this episode of Saturn Box, if you take anything away, in the Anglo quarter, slavery was chattel slavery. You're not a human, you're an animal. In the Latin quarter, the Catholic quarter, slavery was a white man's burden, quote unquote. It was a, I have to say, quote unquote. This is all by voice. Uh, she can see me make finger quotes. You can't. Uh, quote unquote, you know, it's like, yeah, you're a human, but you're a lesser human and I have to uplift you. Uh, and that didn't make it better. I'm not in no way saying, oh, yay, that form of slavery. No, fuck slavery. But it was different. And because of that, in the Latin Quarter, people were allowed to keep certain things, certain bits of language, music, instruments. They were allowed, believe it or not, some concept, not the way you and I would understand it, a free time, primarily around, uh, the Saint feast days. Uh, you could gather together. I mean, don't get me wrong. We don't want to catch you doing any sort of, you know, we've all got our eyes on fucking Haiti and what happened there. So we don't want that to happen here. Uh, but the thing you have to understand about Haiti is there was a fucking death camp. It was literally genocidal. I mean, like, the, the slavery in Haiti before the Haitian revolution was we have such an influx of slaves that we literally don't have to feed some of these people. Like they will just be another ship tomorrow. So fuck you, go work in the fucking cane fields, die, and we'll just replace you. And that's part of what led to the, the Haitian revolution was this was, this was a death camp. This was a work camp, like in the classic sense of there ain't no way out here. There's no normative life. And that was a major influence that then did highly effect the way other bastards kept their slaves, both in a positive and negative way. Like, well, maybe we shouldn't just kill them as well as maybe we should really keep our fucking eyes on them. Uh, You know, what would have been a better idea would be not to fucking uh, kidnap and enslave a bunch of people, but I guess that's off the table. Um, And so in the Latin Quarter, the African priest, the African priestess could continue. They could continue. They could still gather people together. They could still have traditional... Uh, liturgy and songs and forms of worship, except it often needed to be and often almost always was disguised uh, in a syncretic it's hiding behind something else and that's why we see all these associations between you know oh say the Loa in Voudon and saints I mean and look at the word santaria right mm-hmm. I mean we're hiding it we're we, you know so if the door gets kicked in, we can go, oh no, that's Saint bridget no we're all good Catholics in here everything's cool boss why would you ever think no 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 see we love her we love him we love whatever and eventually that does get to a point where as modern practitioners sometimes that's a hard needle to thread right like where is the difference uh between a and b they've blended in the anglo quarter that shit don't happen Uh uh-uh no you don't get any instruments. You don't get no fucking free time. You don't get none of your old words. You don't get none of that shit. Your name is fucking Toby and you're going to do what we fucking say. And we'll fucking kill you if you don't. So the priest can, and priestess can no longer exist, but the sorcerer who was already a member of a quote, secret society can operate.
4: Mm.
2: He or she just needs to learn the new materia, right? Oh, I, I can't get that plant anymore. That does this. I can't get that animal whose spirit does whatever. And income, uh, your new friends, who are also being oppressed, these the first tribe Native Americans, and they say, "Oh, this, that, and the other thing." You can see this perfectly in Hoodoo around rattlesnakes. So there are no rattlesnakes in Africa. the The most direct biological relative to the rattlesnake in Africa is the pit viper, and the pit viper does not warn, no rattle. They're they they have different kinds of habits. The moment you see rattlesnakes start to come into hoodoo as a this is how we use the rattle and the skin and this and that is almost exactly at the same time you start seeing enslaved african peoples in the tennessee river valley well what's in the tennessee river valley the native american of that region rattlesnake cult where rattlesnake is terribly important so the information gets passed Mm -hmm. right so i think the point of all that was god who knows um those of you at home who've been keeping along with your checklist will still remember the point. Um, <laughs> you get extra points for that. Uh, there will be a test, by the way, here at the about uh, about 15 minutes before we end, there'll be a test. Uh, and you can win wonderful prizes. You cannot win wonderful prizes. Saturn Box will not be handing out prizes.
0: The prize um, is knowledge.
2: <laughs> the prize is knowledge. The prize is the friends we made along the way. I can um, stand
0: behind that.
2: But that that difference of of how we treat people and what religions get adapted into this, and so we very much see in the Latin quarter what are termed ATRs, right? Vudan, Santaria, Palo, Kimbanda, etc., Cambale, et, all of that. In the Anglo Quarter we primarily see hoodoo, conjure, root work, uh, And not that. And that in the modern day has created some tensions because there are a lot of hoodoo folk, a lot of very traditional hoodoo folk, African American hoodoo folk, who want to know fuck all about the Orishas. They're like, no, don't come around here with none of that Orisha bullshit. I don't want to hear about your devils. Uh, I serve Jesus, right? But your statement is correct. That variable is that religious practice. The conjure essentially remains the same, but there's always going to be some extra, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but normatively, it has been Protestant Christianity. We, we can't, you know, you can't get the eggs back out of the cake.
0: So, and this is partially coming from a question that our mutual friend, uh, Algol has asked about the Jewish practices in Cuba and Jewish people's diaspora. I, as a person who is Jewish, it's hard for me to think about a Jewish person saying I'm going to bring in hoodoo, especially when there is already a large tradition of Jewish folk magic. And so does this have to do with, you know, Jewish people's diaspora and being displaced and existing in places like cuba and having an influence of um, different latin american traditions as well
2: well first if we're going to talk about that let's talk about jews in the caribbean and if we're talking about jews in the caribbean let's talk about jamaica okay before we talk about cuba so jamaica has a profound jewish history And you wouldn't know it, okay, because nowadays everybody's like, nah, there weren't any Jews here. There's a young man, I forget his name, and I I wish I had it at my fingertips, who's done a lot of investigation for about the past 10 years uh, about this. And he's literally gone out into the quote-unquote, you know, overgrown jungle parts of Jamaica and hacked away and found Jewish graveyards. And he's like, what's this then? Yeah. What's this? And the reason when we talk about Jews in the Caribbean and the Caribbean, what we have to think about is this is going to sound like a joke and it's not. Button up, kids. Here we go. The professor is utterly serious. Jewish pirates. And Jewish pirates are a thing. Jewish pirates are a big thing. OK. There are a. Fuck ton of Jewish pirates. Okay. And contrary to a lot of primarily oh, let me say something that makes me sound crazy. Here, ready for the crazy thing. Oh, boy, he sounds crazy. Outside of a lot of bullshit CIA inspired uh uh psyop to keep Jews and blacks at each other's fucking throats, uh Jewish pirates were primarily not involved in the slave trade they were disruptive of it mm. highly 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 disruptive of it 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 was it literally was their liaison the Terre, which by the way is the phrase of this show ladies y'all raise on the the duck comes down you win twenty dollars um <laughs> that, that that was their jam right was you know taking over slave ships freeing slaves Uh, making it difficult for that, as well as kicking the shit out of the French, the Spanish, and the English, and stealing, you know, gold and fabric and all sorts of goods. But there were a lot of Jewish pirates. And what's interesting about that is when you look at Jamaica, the thing that it's very difficult to find out information on because everybody's like, don't know what you're talking about. Oh, they know what you're talking about. Had never heard of it. Oh, they've heard of it. They're just not going to tell you is Obeah. Uh, and Obeah is centric to Jamaica and Obeah is, has a lot of Jewish folk magic, uh, Solomonic seals, Solomonic magic, and some uh, Kabbalah involved in it. And where did that come from? Primarily Jewish fucking pirates, uh, more so than say Jewish immigrants. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about the Jewish diaspora we have to dispense with our images of it. And our primary image of the Jewish diaspora is a little family. Uh, they're obviously very beat up. Uh, dad looks like Tevia, Mom's wearing a shawl over her head. Who are refugees from Eastern Europe. Arriving in America because the streets are paved with gold. That's an American image of the Jewish diaspora. And that's not the Jewish diaspora. The Jewish diaspora is huge. The Jewish diaspora are astrologers in Turkey, uh, pirates in the Caribbean, uh, uh, nascent, what we would now call basically scientists in England, uh, a bunch of religious maniacs in France. I mean, we spread all the way out and we had many different modes of lives and many different things that we did and many different others that we approached and embraced and kind of added into and added and that they accepted from us and added into. So the Jewish diaspora is huge. The Jewish diaspora includes China, India. I mean, it's huge. We literally scattered to the four fucking corners of the earth. The earth is not flat and does not actually have corners. Saturn Vox in no way promotes flat earthism. Um, So, no, really, guys, I'm going to go out of my way here and and speak for our lovely hostess and say, no, we're just not down with that. We're just not down with flat earthism. Okay, we're also not down with sun trutherism. Ask me in a bit at what sun trutherism is, Macaulay, and you'll get a coot out of it. It'll be the fucking comedy part of tonight's uh, episode but that diaspora spread in all directions. And therefore you see a lot of reflections from where it went. You know, my M- M- was as much a Turkish doctor mm-hmm. as he was a Jew, you know? And uh, as another example, uh, within Jewish law and Jewish practice and normative Ju- Judaism, I'm totally allowed with their permission to pray inside a mosque. I can, I can walk into any mosque anywhere and, and do my prayer. And if they're cool with me being there, obviously, and I've actually prayed in a mosque, uh, Jewish prayers in a mosque. And they're like, oh, our cousin's here. I guess he doesn't have a synagogue. It's cool. No problem. Right. I'm not supposed to pray in a Christian church ever. So this idea that like, we're this kind of, you know, closed off little box, That's not the Jewish diaspora at all. The Jewish diaspora is very active, very much adapts. And a lot of it is we kind of are, you know, some of the original, if we don't fit in, they're going to kill us uh, peoples. And so we have both contributed and adapted. Okay. And Jews in the Caribbean absolutely did that. Uh, There's a big debate in Palo. About uh, a Christos uh, uh, pot and a, a Judah pot, and uh, a lot of people say, "Oh, it's just because on this pot we put a cross and on this pot we don't, and therefore we say this pot is the Jewish pot because it doesn't have a cross and that pot isn't." Except you can find examples of Paulo in the Torah. And every pal- palero that I've ever been, oh yeah, Paulo, it's in the it's in the Torah. They're like. Big pardon. And I'm like, look right here. And they're like, son of a bitch. Okay. Uh, and it's literally about taking certain sticks from certain trees and taking the bark off of them and putting them in a pot so that these animals are going to drink out of to control the destiny of these animals about whether they're going to be spotted or striped or whatever. So there's an inheritance with a bride price. It's a Jew story. Don't worry about it, guys. <laughs> Mikhail and I both know what we're talking about here. Uh, a little later on, we're going to have a full Seder and sing Yahoo. Uh but, um, the point being is there are things that look like that's not that are, uh, because the Jewish diaspora is expansive and therefore sometimes gets forgotten like in Jamaica. Oh, there were never any Jews here. The fuck there weren't. There were a ton of them, right? Uh, And the other thing is the Jewish diaspora is always moving. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you all think that we're not all waiting for fucking colonies on the moon or the Mars so we can get the fuck away from your goisha asses, you're (laughs) fucking nuts. Okay. We're just uh, we're oh yeah, oh up the moon. Yep. Okay, let's go. Let's get the fuck off of this shit right now. That's uh when the fuck does the Seder start? I don't fucking know. Well when, when do prayers so we'll figure it out. Check the fucking Talmud. okay? So get on the rocket. Um it's always expanding. It's always expanding, you know. I mean, since nineteen forty six it's kind of stopped expanding, but that's another socio political issue that we're not gonna bring the fuck up. Um and even then you could say that it is expanding in the sense that it's going back. Yeah. Right. But yeah. So in terms of Jews in Cuba, they were there. Yeah. There's, there's still some very beautiful, uh, synagogues, uh, in, in Cuba. Uh, and, and it has been a reflection. Uh, it influenced Obea. It has had influences in Palo talking about, uh, Cuba. Um, and which is not to say that it is the secret or it's the root, or it's the no, it's just a contributor, right? We, we've we been there too, you know. Uh, there, there obviously probably would not be Solomonic magic, uh, without that, be that'd be weird, right? Solomonic magic without Jews, huh? I, I, Ted magic with Bob, it's Bob, Bobic magic, uh, no, <laughs> Solomonic, yeah. I mean, I don't know that I answered your question, I, I hope that you know. If no, he's listening, yeah. that satisfied him.
0: Uh, my 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 takeaway from that was: well, Jewish people have always been, um, you know, merging and contributing to whatever place they find themselves in. And when they see solidarity between we are oppressed and you are oppressed, so let's trade uh, powers of liberation. Then, of course, it would make sense why a, a Jewish. Uh, you know, folk practitioner would end up picking up a hoodoo practice.
2: Right. The other thing you have to remember is that during the Northern migration, when now emancipated uh, black individuals are coming into places like Chicago, uh, Detroit, but not quite as much because, you know, the motor industry hadn't started really uh, Baltimore, New York, et cetera. During this point in time, uh, Jews still live in segregated neighborhoods, and there were numerous laws, uh, some of them state, some of them local ordinances, obviously not at a federal level, but by place to place, that said, you know, Jews could not do certain things with, quote, white people. Jews were not considered white. Neither were Turks, okay? Neither were the Spanish, uh, you know? Uh, The list goes on of the people that have experienced the new white, as it was called.
0: It's a weird um, argument about whether Jews even ever were homogenized into new whiteness.
2: Mm -hmm. And because of that, Jewish doctors in many, many places, Jewish doctors and Jewish pharmacists could not treat or prescribe for white people, but they could for non-white people. And so you immediately had an interaction between the black community and the Jewish community. And part of that interaction is in the form of Jewish pharmacies, which back in those days resemble what pharmacies resemble today. Like nowadays, CVS, Walgreens, you go in there and they've got everything. They've got mops, they've got food stuff, they've got cleansers, they've got makeup, they've got jewelry, and they've got drugs. This is the point in time right when patent medicine was starting to kind of become a thing, uh, but had not, had not become a big thing yet. And so like, if you wanted aspirin, you didn't get a a bottle of aspirin. You went up to the pharmacist and said, Hey, I've got a headache. I need aspirin. And he would grind it up, mix it up, put it in pill forms. He'd say, come back in 30 minutes, come back in an hour and put them in pill forms, put them, measure them out, put them in a bottle. And you'd come back and he'd go hear your aspirin. Okay? That was true of all medicine. Because there was no real patent medicine. And patent medicine that did exist. Had a real bad reputation. It was considered snake oil. Right? You know. Um, Professor wishes fabulous life vitality. It's, it's fucking whiskey. It's whiskey <laughs> and a purgative. It, you know. Gets you drunk and makes you shit. And therefore you feel a little better. Um, and so that meant that. African-Americans were coming into the pharmacies to buy these things,
4: mm-hmm.
2: patent medicines, et cetera. Except at that time, because of the way those pharmacies were, which is like almost like a general store is or like our pharmacies are now, they were also buying other things, you know, cleansers, makeup, sewing kits, the the some foodstuffs, uh, mostly non-perishables, uh, tinned foods, et cetera. And they're starting to look for things that they c- could, and had access to in the South that they can't find in the North. And that included some magical formulae. And because of Jewish folk magic, we have some magical formulae as well. And so discussions started. Uh, can Do you have a lucky floor wash? Vasi's lucky floor wash? Well, back home, it's a thing we wash the floors with, and it, it brings luck into the house. Uh, yeah 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 you know what was in it well i know there was cinnamon in it and this in it and that in it so the guy literally says he'll come back in an hour he's a fire that's his job Mm -hmm. so he literally just blends it up here's your lucky floor wash okay well now i keep going back because i keep going back i also noticed that the this place is also again we're talking a long time ago it's a nascent judaica there are also candles in here and you know all the paraphernalia of jewish religious practice and what are these candles those are shabbos candles what's what what's what does that mean they're holy they're clean for the for for god boom i'm I'm buying a pack yeah, yeah. Oh, oh holy clean candles for god yeah i'll take some of that <laughs> uh and so that's how we see that jewish folk influence start to come in uh and still remains in hoodoo in things like um uh, Oh, peaceful home. Most of the peaceful home work and formulae uh, is centered around uh, Jewish folklore because it's an old Jewish folk practice involving the same materia and the same colors, blue and white. How weird Jews using blue and white. Um, And we still see it almost exact in uh, they start using uh, besom spices, you know, for Havdalah for prosperity work. Uh, and, and to this day in hoodoo, you can find certain prosperity that the recipe and something like that. Those are the some spices. What the fuck? So it's just, it's this adding in. But notice when we talk about hoodoo and we talk about who's adding in, outside of one case, they are always co-fellow oppressed groups. Mm-hmm. First tribe Native Americans, Jewish Jews, Chinese uh, people from the Indian subcontinent, etc. cetera. That, that's, those are the people we're having conversations with. Right. Uh, and that's where the whole, if it's good enough for you, it's good enough for, well, hell, if it's helping them, why wouldn't it help me? Right. And then vice versa, we start to see as it goes West, we start to see other groups picking up hoodoo elements and leaving that behind, uh, meaning as a marker, not they then stop leaving it behind. I mean, We find it historically. So we're co-contributing.
0: Oh, I love that. That's so beautiful. It's like um, as we all work together, we develop um, more tools and skills to liberate ourselves out of the oppressive situation.
2: Or to survive it.
0: Survive, yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, again, you have to understand nothing is the end all be all you know, there's no magical practice. There is no, no sorcery. There is no religion that is the answer to everything because otherwise history would be different. If hoodoo could do everything, slavery would have ended in, oh, I don't know, 1802. The civil rights movement would have happened in 1843. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like we're limited. Everything has a limit. And so the idea is how we operate it with it to our best extent to our best ability, to our best, not to sound materialistic, profit, right? Because we can't get everything, you know. Uh where can we get and who do talks about within its tradition limitations? The more people you work on, the harder it is. The more something is locked down by iron, the harder it is. That's a African retention, by the way. Uh etc, etc, etc. There are always going to be limits on everything. Because if there weren't, we'd all be whatever. Right? You know? If, oh, I don't know. Um, Austrian throat singing uh, somehow gave everybody all the power they needed to do everything. We'd all fucking be Austrian throat singers, man. Who, who would not get on the wagon? Everything has a limitation. And, and some of the best practices tell you what those limitations are at the door. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be able to do this. It doesn't work on a Tuesday. It, you know, don't do this on a Monday. Uh, the the this day of the week, this year period, this place, these things. Here are their limits. You can't. You can't kill a thousand people at once. Whatever. You know.
0: Then that also kind of answers the question of like why somebody whose culture already has a sorceress tradition might want to add in the influence of another culture's sorceress tradition. If, you know, one has opportunity for change in the way that the other experiences a limit.
2: Right. And again, then we come back to our who's driving too fast, who's driving too slow. I don't care for a Szechuan Enchiladas conversation Mm -hmm. because one of the worst things you can have is when someone becomes so eclectic that they're almost schizophrenic. Mm -hmm. Right. There's no rhyme or reason here anymore. It's 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 so there's no grounding anymore. They've. Absolute pun intended, they've lost their roots. Mm -hmm. Right. They're just blown about by whatever situational wind and it becomes a kind of hollow situation. Right. And and makes people a little desperate. They're always trying to gather more. Right. And more is the American disease. Right. What do you want? More. That's that's the American disorder. More, 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 more. Right. And it's like, well, calm down. Don't you have enough? No. I mean, if you want to know how you end up with a a Bill Gates or, uh, you know, uh, what's his ass name from Amazon. Uh, I so dislike him. I don't keep his name in my mind. Or even although I know he's from South Africa, uh, Elon Musk that it's that more right more more right it's like bro chill and but we can do that to ourselves right i need more magic i need a different thing i need a whatever i'm gonna add a little tibetan throat singing into this and it's like do you need to you know and again in our conversation we kind of you said one of the things about you know learn the rules before you break the rules and even if it's not breaking the rules even if it's just being inspired Uh, or individualistic, which it might still be grounded in the rules, but it's yours. You still need to learn the rules, right? And so one Father's Day long ago, you were probably in middle school. uh, I took my father, may his memory be a blessing, uh, out for uh, Father's Day lunch. And I took him to the best restaurant I could find. I was like, dad's day. And this place had a, a menu that was like two inches thick. Okay. Like, you know, when they set it on the table, it was like, mm. and he had been real happy. And, you know, we were out and uh, he saw this menu and he kind of made a face. And I was like, what's wrong, Dad? And he picked up the menu and he said, oh, well, well
3: I appreciate you taking me out and everything, but. Uh, nothing here is going to be really good
2: and i said what
3: And he said well you know i mean it's all going to be good you know it's a fancy place they got a lot of customers people aren't fools but nothing here is going to be you know exceptional
2: and i said well why like no offense bro we just sat down and he's like well
3: look at this menu It was like two inches thick. They got every different kind of food. He said, I would have rather you took me to a fried chicken place.
2: And my father
3: did not like fried chicken. Where the menu was on a a three by five index card. You know, like they had three things. Because you know it's going to be the best goddamn thing you've ever had. Because that's all the hell they have. And they're still in business. But these guys got 56 different choices. That means everything is going to be okay.
2: At the time, I was like, hey, fuck you, man. I'm trying to take you off for fucking Father's Day here. Thanks a lot, pal. But the more, as time and years went on, that I ruminated on it, I went, you know, he's fucking right. God, he was always fucking right. Uh, Do something. Do it really well accomplish it and then say to yourself, do I want to keep doing this? Do I want to change? Do I want to add in? Do I want to try something completely different? Don't do it halfway down the path, right? Know what you're doing
4: mm-hmm.
2: and then you can make changes. Then you can expand or then you can drop it and say, I don't want to do that anymore. You know, and I can get something else. There's nothing wrong with a certain, with a certain kind of attitude of eclecticism Uh, of, of, of containing multitudes. You know, we don't want to be one trick ponies, but if you're going to do something, do it well, really understand it, really know it. You don't have to become a PhD. You don't have to have it as your profession, but you should be really grounded in it. So then you can make those choices about change, alteration, addition, subtraction, or abandonment, or moving on to something else just as a form of enjoyment, or just to enrich yourself. But too many people, you know, they, class two, they go, oh, I got it now. And it's like, N- you totally don't bro. You know, and then they want to alter it. And, 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 and at the same time, we should demand of teachers, philosophies, systems, that they be receptive of some of our needs as well. Right. Uh, I can't do it that way. Well, you're fucked. Oh, okay. Well then why did I waste my time with this? Right. You know, there has to be some give and take.
0: There's that. uh, Are you going too fast or too slow again? Right. Yeah.
2: That's a free gift from me to you. You can use that now for the rest of your life. Just carry on with it. It's fantastic. It came from a rabbi. How could it not be good? Uh,
0: There you go. Blessed advice. Um, All right. Well, I've been loving this conversation about the history uh, of hoodoo, but I'd like to move more into the more practical nature of it now, specifically involving your practice with playing cards. So can you start by kind of giving us a bit of a historical information on why the playing cards became the divination of choice in uh, hoodoo and Conjure.
2: So, I would not necessarily say they were the soul. I mean, uh, we did have a tradition of reading bones, uh, and that actual exact tradition has been lost. We don't know exactly how it was done. We know Boo. it was primarily done with possum bones, uh, but we do know that sometimes it was done with chicken bones, and we really don't know exactly. We have recreated and tried to put some things back together, but it has been lost. There's also been a lot of candle divination in Hoodoo. There is a fair amount of folk astrology um, in Hoodoo. Uh, There is a lot of being spirit guided uh, where we just haven't, you know, sort of impression from spirit or informed from spirit in terms of kind of divination. But then I would say, yeah, absolutely. After all of that, uh, playing cards. I did not mention dominoes because they're the same goddamn thing. Okay. Okay. Uh, Playing cards originally start as uh, being thrown bones, primarily uh, the knuckle bones of certain animals, particularly like camels, uh, that have a more cube-like shape. So it's throwing bones. Those bones, because they were primarily the cube-shaped ones, eventually become dice. uh, Literal six-sided die. Uh, And then, this is all happening in China, by the way. Come with me, ladies and gentlemen, to China, ancient China. Uh please have your passports ready. <laughs> and then what happened in China was they unfolded a die. Meaning if I threw a die and it landed in front of you and you could see the top and the side towards you, you would see like say a three and a one. If I unfold that into a single tile, it would be a three dot at the top, one dot at the bottom. And so that's how we get dominoes. Dominoes are actually unfolded dice. That then led to a proliferation of dominoes in China. They were brought to Europe uh, primarily by Dominican priests, hence the name, um, as well as the fact that the Dominican priest cowl was brown on the outside, white on the inside, and so it resembles the front and back of a domino. Uh, But that's why we call them dominoes. Anyway, back in China, they become wildly popular uh, for all sorts of things, games, divination, etc., And so we start seeing paper dominoes because physical uh, substance dominoes are very heavy. Uh, they cost money. Uh, the, you know, poor people can't afford that, but they can't afford paper dominoes. In fact, uh, these then develop into a more stylized paper slip that at one point in time even had monetary value. So you would play the game with these paper pieces and win other people's pieces. Uh, Meow. And then that was worth money. You could exchange that for goods and services. Uh, What's interesting about that is that led to a whole slew of uh, Asiatic games in China and Japan uh, that were centered around that concept. So if you want to know how did you get Pokemon or games like that where you win other people's cards, that's where it starts. And in fact, one of the largest playing card company producers for a very long time in the world, uh, it was one of their first things that they really did. Like they were, that's what they were known for is we make playing cards, was a little company called Nintendo. Wow,
0: I did not know this.
2: Then these paper dominoes get taken into the Mediterranean uh, and in, into Africa, Northern Africa. And in Egypt, they get taken up by the Mubarak empire and they become much more stylized. They're broken into four sets, uh, scimitars, uh, polo batons, uh, coins, uh, vessels. Does that sound familiar to anybody? <laughs>
4: um,
2: And they become these elaborate things with all sorts of Arabic writing around them. We do not have a full deck. We have a partial deck, several partial decks that have primarily been found. Because, again, it's ephemera, paper, it deteriorates. But we have a lot of them, and they're highly stylized. They're very, very beautiful. Uh, And they start stylizing the thing, right? Like, I'll draw six uh, polo batons uh, for the six, and lots of beautiful... Arabic calligraphy around it. That then comes into Moorish Spain. From Moorish Spain, it comes into Christian Spain. In Christian Spain, they start being more, again, think about a domino. A domino is thin and tall. It's like the shape of a playing card. By the time it's in Moorish Spain, these are now card cards, right? And from there, it goes into France, well, into Spain, uh, into France, into Switzerland, into Germany, and slowly these Symbols start becoming more codified, eventually leading to hearts, diamonds, spades, and clubs. Except in Germany, where they're fucking weird. They're (laughs) acorns and bells and whatever. Um, And the interesting reason for that is they more closely resemble the original Chinese cards. Mm. So you can say, well, why the fuck do the German cards resemble the Chinese cards more than the new European cards. That's because of a guy named Chinggis Khan Mm -hmm. uh, and a little golden horde he had uh, that swept all the way into Germany. And that's also the reason that you can enjoy a hamburger, uh, by the way. So the golden horde, at the beginning of the day, they would chop up meat uh, and they would add to it primarily like onion juice. Uh, then they would wrap that in leather, and they would place this uh, onion or other kind of uh, uh, plant material that helps dissolve uh, meat, breaks it down, up in leather, and they would put it in between the horse and the saddle, and then they would ride all day. And so at the end of the day, when they take that out, the body heat of the rider and the horse have cooked it. And they took that all the way into Germany, and in Germany, they turned that into what's called a Hamburg steak. And then From being a Hamburg steak, it eventually becomes a hamburger. So the next time you go to McDonald's, the reason you can order a hamburger at McDonald's is because Chinggis Khan and the Golden Horde invaded Germany. So, (laughs) true story. So then eventually America. Okay, Uh, so now we have the playing cards. And they have a very, very old history. They stretch all the way back to china they stretch all the way back to originally being bone throwing and although we accurately now say of them that it's a form of cartomancy they are still a form of sortilage and so they most resemble like throwing bones we're still throwing out cards Mm. and seeing a pattern but we're seeing a pattern within the cards rather than necessarily where the cards themselves fall, say within a circle or a square or a prepared mat. But we're, they're still sortilage, even though, again, cartomancy. But cartomancy came after sortilage, right? It's a, it's a refinement. It's a refinement. It's a child to the parent. And they became popular. Why did I waste all this time telling you all this cool shit? Because the answer to her question is incredibly boring. And the answer is because they're ubiquitous. They're, and See how boring that was? They're ubiquitous. McCullough, they're, they're everywhere. They're cheap. <laughs> you can buy them. They're easily made. They're easily disposable. They used to have white backs on them so you could write on them easily. And they have been written on as invitation cards, address cards, uh, IOUs. Uh, they've been torn in half and one half uh, cut in particular careful patterns, one half left with a child left at an orphanage the parent keeps the other piece so that someday when they come back for the child they can put the two pieces of the playing cards because they're ubiquitous they're everywhere you can get them easily that is the primary reason but see that's a kind of quick boring answer they're they're, they're, they're everywhere
0: no i like i like that answer i like the nuance extension of the answer but even the shorter you know they're ubiquitous answer i had a a great moment of inspiration when talking to another one of our mutual friends, Peter, Peter Lakem, uh, was showing me how, Oh yeah. Wonderful. I love him so much. Um, but he was showing me like, take, if you draw a playing card and it, and we see like, this is the male effect, then we want to find the, the, the fulcrum, what sits on the other end of the fulcrum. So like the benefic uh, opposite of the mal effect and we can cut up the benefic card and slowly each day place it over what's going on yep. on the maladjusted one to create change and i was like oh yeah that that is not something i would ever do with my tarot cards being the way that that tarot is designed but how and
2: how like, expensive they are
0: exactly uh yeah. and and this idea that like Oh, it doesn't matter. I'll just cut up some of my cards. I'll go out and I'll buy another $5 pack of playing cards tomorrow. It's fine. And the white background as well. Oh, see, there you go.
2: The other interesting thing that I would direct you to is this. Modern playing cards are meant to last a bit longer because they are coated in a thin plastic Mm. or polymer-like sheath. Very, very, very thin. If you take a standard big pink eraser—oh, look, it's third grade again—big pink <laughs> eraser, and start rubbing it on a playing card, it very quickly rubs through the plastic, and then the ink on that kind of paper comes right up. Okay. So you could take, say, let's say you were having some sort of sickness, or maybe it had been caused through a sorceress, uh, you know, Maleficia, Right. You could take, say, the four of spades, the sick bed, and you could, along with doing, say, spiritual baths and other work, over the course of four days, you could take your big pink eraser and erase one by one each of the spades, leaving just white off of that card. Day by day, I'm removing the effect. Mm-hmm. Just, so I'm not cutting it up. I'm literally erasing it. Mm -hmm. And there is an old work for that where you do it with the seven or the nine of spades. And day by day, you erase each one. And on the last day, you also erase the indices, which is an American advent. Uh, And so you just have a blank card. Then you do blessing work on the blank card. It's just white. It still has its card back, but it's white on the front. You put blessing work on it, might anoint it with oils, etc. cetera, fumigated in a particular kind of incense smoke. And then you give it to the person that we've done the work for to give them power in any situation that they need, because now they are carrying a white card. And we have already in our culture said that a white card is power because we say, oh, no, no, no. Like, Makala goes into this shop that she knows, and everybody's like, who is this boss? Oh, that's Makala. She has carte blanche here mm. carte blanche white card whatever she wants and so now you have that and then you would put it in your billfold or your pocket or your wallet and carry it with you so you've taken something that was fucking you up and turned it into something that benefits you in all things just by using an eraser
0: Ugh, I love this that's so creative and fun um so as somebody who really doesn't have any background in reading playing cards, like if you're totally new, totally starting out, what would you recommend is the best way to learn? Like there, I've heard I've heard different things. Like some people are like you can match it straight up with the tarot. I don't agree with that, Uh but maybe you can. It you seems, can to a
2: limited extent. Okay, you can to a limited extent, but you can't with any of. The, you're going to get in trouble with all the major arcana. Yeah. And you're going backwards. You're interpreting a father from a child.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Tarot exists because of playing cards. Yep. Sorry, I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen, they did not come out of the Great Pyramid of Egypt where they had been <laughs> laid hidden by the Atlantean survivors. Please uh,
0: read more history if you think that's true. <laughs>
2: yeah, that that's not true. They started as a game called Taroshi. Uh, primarily in oh southern switzerland northern italy uh and it was a trick taking game uh so it was like bridge you you took tricks uh and it expanded and that's the reason the major arcana came into it because that's what helps you make a trick and and take it and then along the way a lot of magically minded and magically involved and secret society masonic etc the whole the whole schmear have been involved in putting their own imagery in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it has progressed, and certainly it is a, a mystical book, if you will, but so are the playing cards, right? Playing cards serve as a Bible, a playing cards serve as an almanac. You can actually count out all the days and remember your weeks and months and seasons and cycles by doing math with a deck of cards. Um, but Tarot comes from playing cards. So, when we say, oh, I can interpret them simply as the tarot, well, just save up your money and buy a tarot deck. You'll be better served. Uh, you really will because it has the major arcana. All right. And you don't want to, what are you going to do? Right. So, I would say the best thing is there are numerous, numerous, numerous historic books written about this. The best way is find an old person that reads playing cards and sit with them. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now I'm going to be a wicked capitalist. Uh, let me hold on a minute. Let me find my wicked capitalist. Uh, yeah, yeah. So <laughs>
3: the other excellent thing you could do is you could go and buy a book called "The Deck of Spells" by Professor Charles Porterfield.
2: <laughs> yeah. Okay. There. We. I paid the bills. Okay. Um. That's the thing. No, but it's one of those books, but it has a lot of information in it from other older books. Uh, uh, Charles Shrewsbury, Muhammad Ali, Not the Boxer, uh, and others wrote numerous in the 19, from about the 1890s to the 1930s, there were dozens and dozens, hundreds of books about reading cards. And the thing you've got to remember about playing card readings is there are hundreds of different ways. Every culture, every group, geographically, culturally, has their own method of reading playing cards. And they're all going to be different. They're going to have a lot of similarities, but they're all going to be different. And they all work. That's the thing is everybody's right here. Nobody's wrong here. Uh, But I do suggest that you learn a system and for a while, stick to that. Learn an interpretation of the cards and stick to that for a while. And then you can go try another one like our conversation earlier, like don't immediately start mixing them all together because you'll get very confused. First, master the skill or accomplish the skill. Then you can start saying, well, whatever. Um, there is a Spanish method of reading cards. Good luck. Good luck. They're very, very quiet about it. They're very, very secretive about it. They don't want you to know about it. Fuck you. And uh, if, if you find out, or if you happen to be uh, of Spanish descent and read them that way, drop me a line. I would love to know how. Uh, But all playing cards are going to have something in their interpretation about their presentation. So as an example, in Spanish cards, there are lines that run around the outer edge of the card that have breaks or solids that also designate the card. And that becomes a part of the reading. Uh, This has changed. I mean, there didn't used to be queens. The French added the Queen. Those romantics, the romantic, (laughs) horny French. uh, Adding the Queen, Uh, you know, it all—it's all, yeah—it's so erotic, isn't it erotic? But as long as they've existed, they've also been used for magic, and we have historic examples of that. There's a famous curse against Queen Elizabeth the First, not Beth who just passed on, um, but that uh, a playing card was found. A playing card was found uh, under her chair that she sat in that had a nail driven through it. It was the Queen of Hearts. And uh, it was obviously malefic work. What's interesting about that is the imagery for that queen in the English deck was originally based off of her grandmother. So, it also had a familial Mm -hmm. connection to use that to curse her. Yes. Uh, It was considered a very serious matter at court that these two ladies in waiting found this card and immediately ran to all the chancellors and said, Son of a bitch, we found this witchcraft. We have people who made deals with the devil, that the deal, the contract was signed out on the back of playing cards, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They've always been used for some kind of magic. In Mm -hmm. fact, to the best of my ability, my research. What I have seen is that they were used for magic before, at least in Europe, they were used as a codified, a codified form of cardamatic divination.
0: Um, so, so... Where the, so does it, do they start more as pieces of magic materia that then through the being used as magic materia, they gain a divinatory meaning or. are It's so
2: close. It's so close hand in hand. It's really hard to call that race. I got you. They're, they're, they're happening almost at exactly the same time, but, but yes.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I understand. Um, but yes
2: and no. So, yeah. One of those historic things.
0: Another like adjacent question from me as a as a non-playing card reader to what degree is a geomancy and the way that the numbers look like different geomantic characters like so what's the influence there?
2: There is none and I desperately wish there was.
0: Oh wow, okay. And,
2: I sit in geomantic classes, uh, with the fantastic Dr. Al Cummins and others, and they put up these patterns and I'm constantly like, "Uh, but uh, almost, almost like, why are you, why are you? Oh, just do like this itch, right? Like this place I can't touch with I'm feeling it like, tickle Uh me the right way, Elmo. You know, I can't, it, it, as far as i can tell they don't have a relationship
0: interesting but boy
2: it sure does feel like they do
0: maybe Uh, there's like a lost memory there somewhere
2: i think it's just the way they look i think it's you know like everybody likes to conflate hoodoo and voodoo and i'm like well the similarity between the two is the same relationship as poodles and noodles it just sounds the same guys you know and it's just these are spots. These are pips, and they look the same, but there, they, there are more. There are less, and it just the patterns are different. You know, I don't know. A successful geomancer might be able to do something, but I have not been able to bridge a gap there. But
3: boy, I would love to. But
2: nah, there's. It's not there.
0: Okay, so in terms except
2: of- wait, I'll say this. Except that they are both calculatory systems, and that is very important because there are a lot of forms of divination that are non-calculatory, right? They don't give yes, no, tomorrow, today, right, left. They give impressions. They give bigger pictures. They give Jungian, uh, Carl, that Nazi Jung kind of imagery, whereas geomancy and playing cards are calculatory. I can give you a yes, no, left, right, up, down,
0: hot, cold. So then that kind of answers the question I was going to ask next, which is like, is there a reason to pick... You know, say do, learning playing cards over something like the tarot, and it sounds like it's because well, tarot isn't as good at giving you those kind of immediate number based calculate. Not as good, I wouldn't say it, it used to be. Do
2: it. it used to be. So here's the thing: like like earlier we talked about evangelical Christianity, right? Mm-hmm. And how that changed a vision of Christianity. The the tarot of today is not the tarot of a hundred years ago, like. Tarot has become more ambiguous, more Jungian, more about the cycle, the unconscious, more about imagery. But it didn't used to be. It used to be. It could still. You could still go back and make it back into a calculatory system because, again, it descends out of playing cards. You can do the same thing.
0: I mean, to what? To, maybe you'll have to explain to me what you mean by that because, for example, in Tarot, I know like okay, this PIP card is associated with this Deccan. But I've tested it where I've said, when is something going to happen? And it doesn't always happen in in that Deccan, even though that was the card I picked. So that's made me think, is it because not enough people care about this connection anymore? Did the cards ever care about it? Are the spirits responding to the fact that I'm ambiguous about whether this is meant to work this way or...
2: So the easiest calculatory system in a set of playing cards is going to be a yes no based on color. Oh okay. Okay. 3 red cards is a yes, 3 black cards is a no, 2 red cards and a black card is a yes but. Mhm. Okay. 2 black cards and a red card is a no however, and that's calculatory and you could potentially do the same thing with tarot. Yeah, of course. part of part of what made tarot less calculatory is how the imagery gets loaded and loaded and expands and expands and expands until it becomes more and more and more complex and thus becomes a little more impressional, a little more like, well, what is this? You know, but the fact of the matter is we're at a point right now where there's almost nobody, no offense, who's reading every card of the Tarot with its full imagery.
4: Mm -hmm.
2: Okay. Almost nobody's talking about what the fuck that rabbit's doing right? What's, what's the little rabbit doing? Well, he's just a rabbit. Look, the point is we're talking about fertility here and blah, blah, blah. Okay. But what's the rabbit doing? Why is he in the card? Right? Like one of the things that separates a lot of tarot readers is those who understand that some of these cards, their backdrops are fake. They're on a painted canvas and these are people on a stage and other cards. The backdrop is real. They're actually in a garden. And you can tell by looking at the bottom of the card and seeing where the, dra- how the the line of the Haraiot folds like, oh, that's drapery. Oh, son of a bitch. This is fake. They're on a stage, right? That's a big difference between Tarot readers right there. Because there are a lot of people that right now will be listening to this going, he said, what? And will literally be with their Tarot cards going, son of a bitch. Let me see. It... Fuck. I never, what the fuck? How did I, what the fuck? Yeah, guys. Some of those some of those backdrops are fake.
0: Wow, I didn't and know that. But I don't read Rider or Wait. Like I've only ever read Thoth decks, which I think right. that's a different thing in and of itself.
2: Oh now we're off to really like, yeah. Can somebody reload uh Alistair's fucking uh uh opium pipe? Uh. <laughs> No, no, and all really. This keep him weird
0: uh, hermetic Kabbalah that, as I was studying the Kabbalah of my ancestors, I was like, "Where the fuck did Crowley pull X, Y, Z out of his ass?"
2: Well, with him, probably quite literally out of his ass, <laughs> uh, I would bet. But so the main thing about playing cards is their inexpense and their ubiquity, mm-hmm. because. One of the principles here when we talk about it in hoodoo is the idea of a touch or a contagion. So one of the primary elements in hoodoo is what's called personal concerns or witnesses or personal witnesses. And that would be things like your hair, your blood, your sweat, your tears, your nail pairings your dirty clothing, because it's absorbed sweat Mm -hmm. and body essences, your underwear, your panties, your socks, your shoes, and using that as a way to touch you either for ill or for good, right? To bless you, to curse you, to do whatever, to make you fall in love with somebody, to make you fall out of love with somebody. And the idea here is as I'm reading the cards and somebody comes to me and says uh, let's just go whole hog on this (laughs) I'm absolutely love I'm absolutely in love with Makala and I just need her I need her to be my woman and I I guess well let me read on that and as I'm reading on that here's the queen of clubs the teacher and I go oh that's her I know that's her because of all the rest of these cards and what we've been talking about etc here she is then I'm going to do the reading where where she's sitting, what she's looking at, because she's her eyes of the card are going to be facing one direction or another, et cetera, et cetera. And then this person says, well, can you do this love work? And for some reason, I've decided that it's justified. Uh, maybe I talked to Makala a few days before and she said, I really like this person, but I don't know. And I'm like, ah, cool. No problem. We're in. We're in like Flynn here. This is going to be <laughs> easy to spell I would take that card off of the reading table. I would keep the reading out. And take that card because it's already touched you. Mm. It touched you to designate you. Therefore, it is like a personal concern. So now when I say to the client, you got,
3: you got, listen, I know you're trying to get in a relationship with McCullough. You wouldn't happen to already have a pair of her panties.
2: No, no, my God, if I had a pair of her panties, I wouldn't need you. What the fuck? And I'm like, okay, fair. You got her hair? No tears, sweat, no. An old cigarette butt. I know she rolls her own, so you know, maybe she dropped them on the sidewalk. By the way, guys, that's a personal concern to watch, which, see, not only should you not be a nasty-ass litter bug and take care of the environment, but you should also not scatter around your fucking cigarette butts where I can get a hold of them. Um, And so instead, I can just take the card. I can now take a pen. In this case, because they're plastic covered, I would take a sharpie. And I would write your name on the top. I would write your birthday on the bottom. People are like, well, where'd you get her birthday from? Well, I got it from the client. Well, if the client didn't know the birthday, then I'd go, you don't need love work. You want you want love work with somebody you don't even know their fucking birthday, yeah. bro. You are way stalkery. You need to back the fuck up, okay? You should at least have a relationship where you, I write your birthday. Then later, if we do get some of your hair, I can use a piece of tape and put it on the back of the card. But now I take that card. And now I can do whatever I'm going to do, put a love candle on top of it, put it against a love lamp, put love powders on it, fumigate it in the smoke of a love incense, whatever, but I've already got you. And I'm not worried about the fact that I took a deck out of my car, a card out of my deck because I can just go buy a new dollar at the dollar store, Mm -hmm. right? Big deal. I can cut it up. I can tie it up. I can paste it to another card. I can dribble wax all over it, but it is that it can touch.
4: Mm -hmm.
2: The reading itself, the divinatory process itself establishes the connection. And I'm sure that could be true of other methods of divination. I'm sure it is true. Absolutely, it's true of other forms, but we're not going to break up our bone set. We're not going to tear up our $75 $75 tarot cards with the gilt gold edges, we're not gonna, you know, these are our tools that we're not gonna modify. Whereas these, because they are ubiquitous and inexpensive, we can. Which doesn't mean we shouldn't be honoring the spirit of them and treating them with good decency and in and, and well disposed manner because they're our tools. It just means they have a greater functionality.
0: Oh, I love this. They they are so practical uh for work just as much as for divination. And that really does kind of, in my mind, give them a bit of an edge over the tarot system. Not not that I'm saying, you know, one is better than the other, but there just seems to be a wider range of use. Right. Uh,
2: and you can wear them, put them inside your hat, put them in the, the pocket over your heart, carry them in your billfold or your purse, because you take the card that's aligned to... So even if I haven't done divination on them, because... So we're dealing with families of spirits, okay? So first of all, a deck of cards has a spirit, all right? This is a deck. It has a spirit. That spirit is the deck of the cards. It is unique because that spirit might be softly different than a different deck of cards. Whose deck of cards? What have they been used for? Where have they been, right? Uh, But it has a spirit. Then all of the hearts have a similar spirit. They have the spirit of the hearts, Spirits of the Diamonds, Spirits of the Club, Spirits of the Spades. Then the Ace has all the Spirits of the Aces. But then it also has the Spirit of which Ace. So way down here you've got Ace Heart. That has its individual Ace Heart Spirit. But then it has Heart Spirits, Ace Spirit, Deck of Cards Spirit. All of those can be called upon. So that means even if I don't use it as divination, I can still say, okay, I'm going out on a date tonight, and I really want this to go well. So I take out the two of hearts, and I take a marker, and over one of the hearts, I write my name, and over the other heart, I write the name of the person that I'm going to be on the date with, and I anoint it with some appropriate oil or powder, pray over it, bless it, put it before a divine power or ancestors, and then before I go out, I tuck that in a, my pocket over my heart to make that facilitus to make what we're doing here tonight go well. Or the two of diamonds for a job. I'm going to apply for a job. You know, I, I have often carried the queen of clubs on me when I gone out in public to teach because she's called the teacher. So I want her spirit with me I want her power mm. with me to be a good teacher you know I've also used like the the nine of diamonds to make sure I get my ass paid right I can carry them both put them together in the pocket I'm gonna be a good teacher and you're gonna I'm gonna you're gonna pay me right we're not gonna have any sort of oh well, I'll Venmo you and a couple of no motherfucker put cash in my hand okay you know th- that way we can use them in numerous ways But here's the most important thing about them being ubiquitous. We obviously have that they're ubiquitous. They can be easily replaced because they're inexpensive. But because they are ubiquitous, no one fucking notices them. Mm -hmm. So I used to do this little trick when I was teaching about cards in public. I would be walking around talking about this. I'd come off of where, you know, normally it's a stand on the stage, stand behind the podium, stand here with the mic, and I would walk away from that, and I'd walk around the crowd while I was talking about this issue of ubiquity. And while I was doing it, I'd be riffle shuffling, you know, side shuffling a bunch of cards, uh, just talking. Now what I had done is I had made sure that the two of hearts was at a particular place where I could drop it. And I'd be talking about ubiquity and, you know, how people don't notice them and whatnot. And I'd accidentally drop that card and I'd accidentally drop it near someone and they'd pick it up and hand it to me. And as they did, they'd see that it's the two hearts and I would always go, gotcha. See, if I had wanted, that could have been a love spell. That Mm -hmm. could have been compelling. I just dropped a card and you just automatically, naturally, you reached down and touched it. If you woke up tomorrow, you yourself, with your background and your knowledge, and you went out on your front porch, or in front of your apartment, or your condo, or wherever the, you live, and there were black rooster feathers that looked like they had speckles of blood on them, and a yellowish powder, you would never touch that <laughs> shit. Right? You would immediately either be using it on your own knowledge, or you'd be on the Fucking telephone with one of your elders immediately going, What the fuck, bro? What the fuck, sis? This thing here, let me take a picture. And your elder would be going, Don't take a fucking picture of it. Are you nuts? Don't send it to me. Like, <laughs> fuck. Okay. But but if you walked out of your house tomorrow and there was a candy wrapper and an empty aluminum can, like you just took a drink from, and a, uh, a kind of beat up looking playing card that you hadn't turned over yet, and when you turned over, it was the seven of spades, you wouldn't think jack shit. You'd go, fuck this goddamn neighborhood or this goddamn hallway or these fucking people, man, this shit in front of my door. What would you do? You'd pick it all up and throw it in your trash. You would pick up the curse card that I left on your goddamn doormat and bring it into your house. Thank you. You would do that for me. I don't got to slip it under your door. I don't got to get inside your house and hide it in a book under your rug in your couch. I'll I'll leave it on your doorstep and you'll pick it up and bring it inside because it's just a fucking playing card. They're everywhere. You see them in the street all the time. Boom. That's the reason it's important that they're ubiquitous. They're not noticed.
0: I love this. It's a very cunning.
2: And cunning man conjurer, right? Yes. If I could get into your house, I could leave a card for good or ill. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, as we're talking, there is a beautiful bookshelf behind our lovely hostess. And you could be like cooking in your kitchen because we're going to have a meal or we're just hanging out or whatever. And I could just take that card, blessing, cursing, whatever. And I could slip it into any of those books and leave it and walk away. Now it's in your house. Someday you're going to pick up that book and go through it. and You're going to go, when the hell did I use a playing card as a bookmark? huh, I don't remember that, but you're not going to go, holy shit, I bet three years ago, Professor fucking Porterfield. No, you're going to go, when did I do? I could leave it under your couch and you'd go, when the fuck were we playing cards? Like if you have a deck of cards in your house, the first thing you're going to do is check to see if the backs are the same and go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and god damn, I don't want my deck of cards to not have a, yeah, that'll ruin a hand of poker, right? But you're not going to flip out. But A little cloth doll, like a little the size of a worry doll. You're going to go, what the fuck is that? Why is that here? I didn't buy that. A little packet of herbs. Everything else. You're ready. You go, what the fuck? Let's assess what's going on here. You know, if somebody you liked left it and it's obviously a piece of love work, you might go. How cute. Okay, I'm taking it in the bedroom now. Right. But, you know, they're ubiquitous we almost don't see them.
0: But in this uh, case, we're not adding names or birthdays to the card. We're just dressing and praying over the card and then leaving it. Waking behind.
2: the card up, telling that we're conjuring, waking the card up, telling it what we want to do. Hey, spirit, do this for me. Here's our what I'm going to do for you, etc., etc. et, cetera, et cetera. All of that. Notice that you will see Instagram pictures, Twitter pictures of people who find little kind of altar spaces, little places where people have done work out in parks, parking lots, all sorts of places. And they're always like, yeah, I don't touch that stuff, but it's an interesting picture. Bah, 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 bah. You know, you got to respect other people's work. You never know quite what it's about, but it makes an interest. but boy, it gets me some Instagram likes. Yay. But these same motherfucking people will show in their hand, will show you, I found a bunch of playing cards today. They're just blowing around. I'm like, sure they were. Maybe they were. Maybe they were, or maybe I'll never touch a playing card when I find it in the street. I don't care if it's a good card or a bad card. I'm like, oh, let it let the card lay. Okay.
0: That's good to advice, quote I would the famous say. Quote. Yeah,
2: because <laughs> it could have it could have Malifeci on it. It could have blessings on it, but it's not for me. Right? So And then you'll start to notice them. You'll go in some business and see one tucked in the frame of a picture, and you'll start to go, "Ah, shit, that old man in Texas is right. It is all going on." Fuck. Uh,
0: I love this. Um, I guess one last question about uh playing cards here. I'm uh, I'm wondering about Lenormand. Like, where does Lenormand come in? Because they're like almost playing cards, but not quite.
2: Okay, so. The Norman cards, interestingly enough, have fuck all to do with Madame Marie Le Norman and her fame. She did not read them. She did not invent them. She read straight playing cards. Mm-hmm. Much to her credit and her fame, and, you know, read for Marie Antoinette and supposedly advised Napoleon. Uh, but she has nothing to fucking do with them. They actually come from a german game which uh had a board that you put together uh it was very fancy like it came with these pieces and you made the board and then you played with the pieces on it and there were these cards and it was called uh, i won't even give it to you in german i'll just give it to you straight in english it's called the game of life mm-hmm. and they are a playing piece out of the game of life that then someone said how the fuck can we sell this let me think Marie Lamar, you? no, no, you're joking. No, we couldn't. Yeah, we could. Are you kidding me? No, everybody will say, no, 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 they'll do it. Nah, they won't buy it. What are you, nuts? Are you kidding me, Solly? We'll be burnt to the ground. Come on, we got a dozen of these Game of Life. They're not fucking selling. Take the cards at them. We'll tell everybody Marie Lamarman used them. It'll be fantastic. A hundred years later, they're an accepted and functional form of divination tool. There you go.
0: Wow. Okay, so And they really... w- they
2: work. I'm not saying they don't work, but they are very different. They're they're more limited than playing cards, but you're going to get answers, right? But the fact of the matter is, and this is not to put anything down, this is actually to elevate everything. You can take a bowl of water, b- do some sort of blessing on it, activate it, conjure it, call God, call the Orishas, whatever. Dip your five fingers in it. And then go with your fingers, casting drops of water down onto the pavement, a table, and you could read that. You just got to learn it. That could—that's mm-hmm. absolutely a thing that has been done. It can be done again, right? Like that can be divination. That does not mean this is all make believe and rejection. No, it means that the tool accesses spirit, and so we have to do that, like. You're going to get a better reading with any system if you talk to something first before you do it, yeah. whether that's a prayer to God or calling on your ancestors or calling on a spirit that is immediately associated to it. And we have a lot of that. We have a lot of Orisha or classic figures or historic personages or, you know, the mighty dead, et cetera, that are associated to a tarot deck, a domino, whatever. And, you know, anything like that, that's going to give you a slightly better reading because you're already making a connection to spirit, which is what you're asking to happen here. Yeah. You know, make it turn over in the right way, fall in the right way, burn in the right way.
0: Yeah. I have uh, done that with my tarot decks where there are now like specific spirits in my court that I work with who like sit in each deck. So it's like understood when I'm using this deck, I'm attempting to communicate with X spirit And sometimes I do like to ask my un, like my, what I would call like my blank deck, just to see like what the random ambient spirit in the room will say to the same question. Because this gives me kind of a a fulcrum in order to say, oh, well, the spirit that I work with has X personality because the ambient spirits are saying blah, 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 blah.
2: Absolutely. Uh, So, as an example, I have already pre prepared plans uh, understood by. Both my wife and uh, my elder children uh, that when I pass, I am to be buried with certain things Mm -hmm. Uh, for my protections too big a word. Uh, Let's say my do not disturb sign, because not to sound arrogant, I know if I don't, I'm going to spend fucking years dead. With everybody going, oh, Professor Porterfield, help me now in this card reading. You were the guy who I, I had your book and I and I'm just going to be like, oh, great. This asshole. Sure. Yeah. You know, I was sleeping, but no, I've got to help you read the cards. You're not even really reading her cards. You're, you're on the make. You're trying to prove to her you're a big, spooky, mystic guy. So she sleeps with you. So now I've got nothing better to do than. Yeah, no, that's cool. That's fine. Oh, a candle. I got a candle. That's what I wanted. Was A fucking candle. <laughs> Didn't have enough of those at fucking Hanukkah. Now I got another candle. Grinch who stole Hanukkah. It's just a cave full of fucking candles with a dog with an antler on its head on top. K- k- terrific. Terrific. That's great. You couldn't have come up with a nosh. You couldn't come up with a nice bagel. Something for a stale donut. Nothing. Fine. So yeah, I'm already like, no, bury me with this shit. I don't want to be bugged. Mm-hmm. You know.
0: Oh, I love that. Well, uh, this has been... An amazing conversation. I've loved both of the topics of exploration that we've gone over. Uh, I do like to, my last question is always the same for all my Mm -hmm. guests
2: oh neat.
0: Uh, yeah but maybe like not inside
2: a... the actors guild that's cool
0: exactly except it's kind of a carte blanche I'm handing you a a blank card so oh, this God. is uh, if there's anything that that you would be remissed if if you, we didn't say or discuss before we close out this is your moment to fill the space with whatever you want to put in
2: okay I'm ready I got this um <clears throat> Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are, whenever you are, whenever you hear this. I want you to consider this. The two worst things that can be done to people in a society is to A, make them, force them to lie, to B, just so they can continue and to give anybody a hassle about their existence. And let me be very clear here. I'm not talking about an opinion. I'm not talking about a thing you could. I'm not saying, hey, leave the Nazis alone. No, punch them in the fucking face. Every time, all the time. What I'm saying is there are people around you that they exist. They they exist in a certain way, Okay. And how they exist is not a choice. And we love to break it down. We love to say it is a choice. Women could just shut up and stay in the fucking kitchen. They're making a choice to dare to want rights. No, they're humans. Humans deserve rights. Black people could just stay segregated and out of my God. No, they exist. Gay people made a no. They're fucking trans people that no. No. When you make Someone vulnerable merely because they exist. Whatever the fuck else you're doing in your life can kiss off. I don't care. It doesn't matter how much charity you're giving. It doesn't matter what a great guy or gal you are. It doesn't matter that you have friends. It doesn't matter. You're engaging in oppression and evil. And you are being wicked because no one would desire to be told that they simply can't exist as they are. And again, we're not talking about a political opinion, who your favorite sports team is, whether you like to dip original Cheetos in hot mustard. We're not talking about that shit. We're talking about your existence, who you are fundamentally. Nobody's fundamentally a fucking Nazi, okay? And so, look at that. If you're not doing it, Mazel tov, good on you. If you're helping making sure it doesn't happen, Mazel tov, good on you. But look also, as magical practitioners, as people who involve themselves in philosophical, esoteric, and magical systems, is that going on around you? Is that going on with your elders? Is that going on with your co-conspirators, your fellow travelers? Mm-hmm. And if it is, and you're not willing to call it out, at least get the fuck away from it, because it's always going to end badly. Otherwise, I wish for each and every one of you that you are able daily to enter, at the end of your day, to enter your house justified. And thanks for listening.
0: Oh, I cherish that wisdom. I've cherished this conversation. Thank you again for joining me and for being so receptive to my weird schedule needs. Uh, this has been a joy.
2: Have you seen the people I hang out with on a weird on a weird met on a weird yardstick? You're 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 low down. You're, you're...
0: <laughs> I'll take that as a compliment or as it an is. insult. <laughs>
2: no, it's a compliment.
0: Good.